Psychology is Dead Top 50 Wrestlers of the Year Special I am Quentin Moody It is very late where I am It is 8.30 where Timothy is Timothy, we have the top 15 here to go Hitting that home stretch, are you ready to get this over with? Yeah, it's uh, the last podcast on the list, right? That's the uh, <laughs> the, the name here um, I am definitely ready to go And like I said last night The top 15 for me Just to put this before we even get started Are all people that at one point Were penciled in as my number one In some way or another So uh, this is basically I mean the cream of the crop As far as I'm concerned For performers for this year Yeah I'm sort of, I'm sort of similar too Because you know As we um, wrapped up The second part of the series Guys like Kyle Fletcher and ACH Were always having really good years to me, but I they were like the line who I considered number one guys. And I'm someone that had difficulty picking a number one this year because I felt like no one really um completely stood above the pack. And I literally didn't make a decision on who was going to be my number one until um really a couple of days ago when I put this list together. And I had ideas of it, but it was just so up in the air, literally from the time the year started and up until now. And even then I'm still having a little doubts. And you know, that's the thing is like these um lists like this are a snapshot in time and they're not concrete thoughts that you're always gonna have and but right now it's just all the people that I that we're about to mention were all at one point penciled in as our number ones or at least considered uh ser- seriously as a number one uh potential pick. So, without further ado, are you ready to wrap this up? Yeah, let's do this. All right. My number 15, guy you haven't said yet, is uh, Darby Allen. Uh, we'll get to him, I guess, tonight. There's no drama left in that side. We'll get to him tonight, but uh, in a little bit here. All right, my, you're 15. Uh, my number 15, sorry, let me just move some stuff out of the way, is Tommaso Ciampa. And I had Ciampa... At 33. 33. Yeah. So for me, I mean, obviously there's the the big matches that people think of. The Really the first Johnny Gargano uh, match was probably his best match of the year, I would say. Um, the first one in New Orleans, not the uh, street fight, was a little, was good, but wasn't as good. And that was, I think, the drama. Um, was a bit over the top for me in some ways. And it's funny because I think, you know, there's the Gargano stuff that people talk about him being the best wrestler in the world, best baby face, having what people call match of the year, all that. Um, I won't say 
that, uh, you know, those matches weren't great, but, you know, um, Ciampa is probably just after that is when he really comes into his own. Uh, the title win is kind of the big leaping off point from there. His heel work just steps into overdrive. It was already fantastic, but he gets into rarefied air um, as a promo, as a character, as a heel. I mean, he's clicking on all cylinders and just delivering um, hugely. I guess the unfortunate part is just that the Gargano program stretched out a little bit too long. But then from there, he does start to um, to have some other matches when he becomes the champion. As the champion, he gets to have some matches other than just wrestling Gargano, feel, feeling like repeatedly. The Alistair Black title switch is really good. Yeah, that match is great. Um, the last man standing match was fine, but definitely over the top. Um, the takeover match with Velveteen Dream, I loved, uh, absolutely loved. Um, I loved, I loved Chapa in it. Yeah, I, I liked Dream. I know you don't like Dream. The match with with um, Otis Dozovic on TV was great. Like, he just turns into a whole nother guy this this past this year. Really, he kind of hit top top and like he was an absolute just knockout performer um all around to where that's why there was there was moments where i thought that like it was possible it didn't sustain at that upper upper echelon really for super long but longer than you might think i think you know from from his return against gargano until Probably just a, like a month or two before the the match with Dream, and and then maybe honestly, probably really at the Last Man Standing matches where a lot of the heat on the program died down. But I think he still continued to perform um, at a top level from there. Um, so yeah, I mean, and there was moments. I mean, if he had extended at that level as a performer, just the the promos and the vitriol that he's getting from the fans, and just every motion he's doing, even in just like pull aparts and and. And just little segments, um, attacks, you know, attacks on uh, Aleister Black, attacks on Gargano, little vignettes and promos showing those, stuff like that. If he kind of stayed at that pinnacle level of just like special performer a little bit longer, he was in the number one conversation for me. But it, it again, it, it drops off like a little bit quickly, not not like insane, but like he probably has like, I don't know, five or six months max where he's like every week is delivering just like like an all-timer level performances so that was kind of the big part of his case yeah for me and obviously um both of us had a uh, champa and not gargano on our list and i think for me why champa winds up on it is that champa feels like he keeps his heat throughout the entire year as opposed to like due to the bad writing in how Johnny was made out to look on television, that Johnny lost a lot of that steam that he had. And it's not Johnny's fault, but, you know, perception and, like, how they write him is, is going to carry over and stuff like this. And I don't I don't necessarily think Chama had, like, that many better performances in those matches um, with Gargano than Gargano had. Like they're, they're about, about on the same level, and I think they're all great matches in their own way, varying levels, albeit, but all great matches. But I think Ciampa just was able to maintain that level of consistency in a way that Johnny wasn't. For me, I get why people 
turn on that feud and I get why people eventually just got sick of those matches but to me those are still some of the most creative WWE gimmick style matches I think you'll ever see um as far as like the vitriol the animosity the spots and sequences the finishes and uh the uh set piece spots I think it's a really really unique take on the WWE gimmick match style and for that I really do appreciate those matches I think something like the Aleister Black match well like say if this happened in like 2015 2016 the match is still probably a banger, but Ciampa, because he's grown so much as a character, he's able to still have this hard-hitting, sort of minimalistic style match with Alistair, but still um, it re- it re- um, relies heavily on bullshit and chicanery and um, dusty finishes. And I think that's the balance that Ciampa's had this year, is that he's able to switch back and forth between being like, you know, the Ciampa that everybody um, fell in love with, whereas... Um, hard-hitting style and then he can regress back back into this sniveling cowardly heel at a moment's notice yeah yeah and i mean the guy has just been like i said i mean there's times where it's just an unreal level of performance um that you don't see regularly out of any wrestling just in general i mean so like i said probably if it wasn't an NXT and he was doing the same level of performances um, and just getting to be out there more and all that, I think more and more people would have him even higher. But for me, he was a big, a big standout for the year, just being able to do that in a year where I won't say it was a down year. I was a down year. I think 2018, it was kind of a down year in general, um, just for stuff that really kind of clicked. And he was a guy who, who really clicked and your explanation for why he was able to kind of keep, more heat coming out of that than Gargano was is, I think, pretty spot on, honestly. My number 14 is Momo Watanabe. I do not have Momo Watanabe, so. Um, I know, and I know some people are, like, everybody's gonna have, like, always gonna have, like, different picks for, the, for this stuff. Some people would say Michael Satomura. Some people are gonna say Miyu Yamashita. Some people might say Jungle Hiona, um, Chihiro Yashimoto. And those are all valid picks for who might have been, uh, best uh women's wrestler in japan this year and for me i don't think anyone has had a more impressive year than mama watanabe did um this year in stardom mama watanabe is still uh either 17 or 18 years old and what she did was she came in here um on the heels of io shirai being on being on the way out of stardom and having these uh incredible matches against her uh her leader, stablemate, and Queen's Quest, and really earning her keep and showing the kind of potential that she has. She's has the poise and confidence of a years and years and years long vet. She can work vicious and focus on a limb and feel like she's like an absolute monster. But at the same time, when she's when she needs to, she can be vulnerable and she can sell her ass off and she can take a back seat. And she so, showed like the total complete package and everyone like most people that pay attention to joe she expected her to get a push this year i don't think anyone expected her to just be as good all around as she wound up being when she got thrusted into that role other than the matches with uh io shirai going out there and having uh matches with matches with hazuki and mayu watani and kagetsu um and jungle kiona she just goes out there 
and delivers every single time. Exactly the kind of wrestling that I like, which is, you know, smart, hard-hitting, uh, at times minimalistic style wrestling, not going too hard in certain things, great selling. And she's able to do that at such an alarming rate when you're when she's only 17 or 18 years old. And I just can't recall like the last time I've, I've been so impressed with someone being such a complete wrestler at that early given age. Like obviously like Kyle Fletcher, um, who's um only a few spots lower, but Kyle Fletcher isn't doing it while being um, arguably the uh, hardest push person in the company. Kyle Fletcher is doing it in sort of a bump, bubbling up from the undercard kind of way and uh, being in tag teams. Momo Watanabe got thrown right into the fire. And for her to be out, for her to do that and just come out with the insane output that she has this year really speaks to the kind of level and talent she has. And she's going to be someone to watch for years and years and years. And is going to be at the forefront of um the Joshi world soon if she keeps us up. Yeah, and I've I saw very little uh Joshi in general and especially of uh, Momo this year. What I saw I really enjoyed. Um so I could definitely easily see that. Uh for me my number 14. I don't know if you said him. I think I kind of remember maybe maybe not. Eric Royal. No, Eric Royal didn't make my list. Yeah, and I think did he not make your list last year too? Uh, I don't remember. Probably, probably not because again, I watch, I wasn't watching CWF as much. Yeah. Um. This year, I mean, similarly, obviously, not, not really, a lot. really high placement. For, really high placement for him, considering that CWF, CWF had their um issues with the uh, right worldwide as much as they did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but he still had a lot of. He actually this year had a good amount of performances outside of CWF, especially with adding in being a really featured act in action, um, being pretty prevalent in nova but he always has been pretty prevalent in nova but it's been easier i'll say to watch all the nova shows now with not having to basically pay for every one every um show a la carte with the powerbomb so that has helped his case too because it's more footage what cwf i've watched he continues to be just one of the best heels on the fucking planet i mean he really is but then it's it was impressive seeing him in nova as well show off um that flex that baby face muscle which he has you know, for a while in, in Nova, but I really appreciated it more this year again, because getting to see show to show, um, great match with Gunnar Miller who Gunnar Miller is a a guy who probably would have been on my list somewhere this year if it wasn't for his big injury. Um, but you know, that was part of that was the match like with Eric Royal. Um, I think there was a riddle match also. There was a couple really good Gunnar Miller matches early in the year was basically my point there. Um, including the Eric Royal one, which is, on Eric Royal's case as well, um, for how good he was this year, obviously. Um, like I said, some stuff in CWF, bumping uh, and like selling and doing some funny shit with like some of the RGL guys while also being, you know, an important part of the uh, the main event heel act in the All-Stars, basically. Um, the the Fred Yehi match in action, the Tracy Williams match in action, both fucking great. And just, again, a guy who really plays heel, plays to the crowd, plays real big over the top. Um, and just, yeah, the guy is just compelling in everything he does. His timing is always perfect, The yeah, just the way he carries himself. But then also that it's so effortless, but in a way that uh, it's effortless in the way that he acts his his stuff looks really good and can look like a fight and a struggle, but the way that you just buy into him as a person with the way that he acts and even in matches is uh, 
a super breath of fresh air in wrestling with a lot of people who, again, don't uh, don't have that same level of just like carelessness to their performances or not carelessness, but, um, you know, I can't I don't even I can't even think of the exact word to try to say what I'm trying to say, but being carefree, I guess, in the way that they act without seeming like they're really thinking about what am I doing? What's my next move? Really thinking about anything. They're living in it. And that's one thing that Eric Royal does super well. Yeah, I can't. I just can't speak to much Eric Royal this year. Only saw a couple of matches, uh, both of them being in Action Pro or Action Wrestling. So I really like Eric, and I know that he's still great, but I just didn't see enough to have an opinion on him this year. Yeah. But uh, my number thirteen is Will Osprey. Will Osprey. He was he was on his way to making my list this year. Uh, oh wait, no, he was forty four. Uh, he, he did Yeah, yeah, he, he, he did make forty four. But I, I mean, he was. How do I say it? He was on his way to making my list in a bigger way, in a in a higher, you know, top twenty five, probably um, even better. Um, but he he had a not a bad year, but he had a, a down year for me output wise. Um, I think there was an injury that took him out for a little bit, but not super long comparatively. I mean, he may have had actually longer, more time out on injuries in previous years. It's actually incredible how much he was able to wrestle this year. Yeah. Considering um, the Marty Skrull stuff that happens in April. And then the um, the thing that actually takes him out is the, uh, is the uh, spot in the Ridgeway match where he lands on his head. And I don't know whether it was a concussion or a neck, or a neck, neck injury, but, you know, it's actually surprising how much time will osprey didn't miss because of because of injury this year yeah which is yeah which is was good but he still it felt like he still held back a lot compared to other years but if he had continued performing at the level that he did this year or at the end of last year into this year um he he was a guy who was in my top 10 conversation probably so but uh you should probably tell us about him seeing as uh he's what was it for you he's 14 13 13 so for me with Osprey, it's like I get why people might say he's had a down year, but at the same time, like the bit, like the best match he had two really great matches last year. I would say the Zach match from Global Wars and the Kushida Best of the Super Juniors Finals. Was that? I was the uh, Jay White match was last year technically, right? Yeah, yeah, the Jay White match too. Okay. So like, and even but I was talking about like matches that. I can see someone not liking the Jay White match as much, but I feel like the Zack match and the Kushida match were, like, undeniable, like, these are really good kind of matches. Right. So, well, Osprey didn't have really, the, like, that kind of smash hit except the Riddle match this year at um Mercury Rising. So, I get how on the surface it might look like he's had a weaker year, and then he does cut back and he's not working as much um in your Rev Pros and... uh your progress is and really maybe not even that he's not working as much. He's not being given interesting stuff to do when he's in Rev Pro. He's not being given interesting stuff to do when he's in progress. So I get it. Well then it really does come down to something like something like his New Japan work. And then this New Japan work, he was given the ball this year and he was able to go up there and have great matches every month. Against uh Hiromu Takahashi, against Marty Skrull, against Kushida going out there to be able to have this great string of, t- great string of title defenses, having a really fun best of Super Juniors run. I didn't love the uh, Hermu title switch as much as I love their um, first match in February. But again, still a really good match. 
I liked the Osprey versus Okada match at uh, the New Japan Anniversary Show, and I thought it really showed the growth of Osprey and how easy how he was able to sort of work on top against Okada all these years later from their first match together. Uh, something like that, something like later on in the year, something I just watched recently, like um, his uh, his match with Taichi from the World Tag League Finals. Taichi, who again, some people like him, but I don't think he ha- he's had that many great singles matches in his career, and I think that's maybe the best singles match Taichi's had in like three years. And Osprey's Osprey performance in it is fucking fantastic. Osprey's couple of matches with Walter and Defiant and OTT, they're not, at least for me. They're not like these big home run smash hit matches, but I know muscle and minority there, and that people really do love that Osprey uh, Walter match from OTT, and some people think it's better than Osprey um, better than uh, Walter versus Devlin. I think they're absurdly wrong, <laughs> but but people 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 do have that opinion. Um, the couple of Jay Lethal matches he had this year, one on TV and the one at Death Before Death Before Dishonor, the Wild Boar match from Attack. You know, I'm someone that if something happens at the end of, end of 2017 and it airs in like the beginning of January, then I count it as a 2018 match. And Blossom versus Travis Banks from chapter uh, 60 or whatever, like or whatever the unboxing was of uh, last year. Phenomenal match. One of the best matches, Trevor, Tra- one of the best matches Tra- Travis Banks has ever had. Having um, the Jordan Devlin match at Progress. That really was an eye opener for people and showed how good Devlin is, and Osprey was the perfect guy to have that kind of match against. I didn't love it, but if you're looking for something that's sort of uh, in that high paced, high spot vein, and it does have a lot of character work in it, there's no reason to not like that Osprey Devlin match. The only place where it feels like Osprey could have been better is in that final Osprey Jimmy Havoc match. But for me, that's like the only letdown I got from him this year. Um, the second Osprey versus Eagles match from uh, PWA. I would still say I liked... I'm not, even sure, I'm not even sure I could say I liked the first match better because the second match went ahead and had like a more interesting idea of Robbie Eagles being on this losing streak and doing and doing whatever it takes to get the win here and beat Will Ospreay. And taking advantage of an injury and it's one of the most unique touches on a uh on a on a on a limb job and a selling performance that I've seen all year. And that's coming from Will Ospreay and he had a couple of those this year. And I think the reason why Will Ospreay only winds up at thirteen is because he is someone that at his worst is still really annoying and he does stuff like, you know, copying the uh wrist clutch spot from Okada and the wrist control and all that shit. And like, that's annoying as hell. And that's something that, you know, for everything else that people have problems with Osprey with, that's my one problem with him. And if he just stopped doing it, who knows where I would have him. And it's such a petty and minuscule thing that like have like cost him a spot or a couple of spots. But I, and I understand it on some level, but when Will Osprey just finally becomes his own man and he doesn't rely on, you know, that thing that really only works for Okada, then this guy really is the limit for him because he's improved so much in the last two years. And I think right now 13 is a, is a perfect spot for him. Yeah, and I could see that. And just a few years ago, I mean, I was someone who was really heralding Will Ospreay. And 
I think that my issue, he's kind of in a weird growing pain stage for me, but I think I feel like he's coming out of it. And it's funny because if you had asked me really at any point within kind of the, the time where I've turned down on him a little bit, if like thinking about a, a him having a single a heavyweight singles run in New Japan would be a good thing, I'd probably say no. Um, but it feels like that might be what does finally kind of not shake him out of this and put him on a better path again, as far as I'm concerned. Um, because when he's shining, I think anymore lately is when he's comfortable in his own skin. As you talk about that with kind of doing the Okada copycat stuff. And I understand why it's tough for him to do that in new Japan, because I think that he's a guy who probably is relatively self-conscious and wants to be perceived as being as not and really i mean even if you think really highly of yourself i think it's still self-conscious when you think about yourself a lot you know and you're just not comfortable about who you are and i think that he wants to be over in japan and he thinks that mirroring okada is going to help him be over because people like okada but it doesn't really work to me and i think that if he gets comfortable there um and it can kind of just be his own thing he might actually get over so i think a singles heavyweight run where he can't feel like he can just pretend to be he, like he's the cruiserweight Okada or something. He'll have to be his own thing. Might be good because <clears throat> when he shows up, excuse me, when he shows up in places like Fight Club Pro, um, Defiant slash uh, What Culture Pro Wrestling, and is confident, and he does this in uh, Australia from time to time as well, and he's confident, and he's when he, when he, show, when he showed up in our ways this year, he's confident as hell. Like that, yeah. Um, that Jay Lethal death, death before dishonor match. He's extremely confident in himself. Yeah, and, the riddle match, extremely confident. And in those settings, he's phenomenal now on top and being that guy. Um, he doesn't even have to be heel, but just being confident, cocky, and and working a little bit stiffer and a little bit tougher. It's, it's, and again, we talked about it last year. And that was one of like one of the, my talking points is that Osprey's gotten so good as a striker that like when he works on top, it's convincing because. He genuinely is one of the best strikers in wrestling. But then I get like his kicks is different, but like his forearms and his chops, like he really does beat the shit out of guys. And that leads to him being believable when working on top. No, yeah, and that's one hundred percent it, and that's added a lot to it. But him being a big boy and, and kind of big brothering people, I think, works better. Um, being confident, being himself, doing what he wants to do is where he shines and um the places to me where, you know, and like stuff like being able to show up wherever the fuck he wants. He's on the world of sport tapings. He's all he can go wherever he wants. He gets to treat these places. And in those settings, he can be annoying when he gets a little bit self-involved. But he can also that's where to me he look, can look the best as well when he's feels like he's just can get away with anything and uh, and does. Because I think that, yeah, the kind of the, the biggest issues in New Japan is, is that whole kind of self-conscious i think trying to be more over than he can trying to think too much about stuff hurts him um trying to just have really good matches and do spots which he gets caught up in times too everywhere not just in new japan but in any promotion he, he does that and i think that that hurts him quite a bit um you talk about no disappointments or or what did you mention was like the only disappointment you had from for the year um um, Jim, the Jimmy Havoc match. The Jimmy Havoc, which is was a huge disappointment. I would say it was definitely the biggest one, and that's because me and you both have that feud on a pedestal for kind of the history of UK wrestling. Um, but to me, other disappointments like the Adam Brooks matches, um, especially the one in PWG, but just 
really anytime he's with Adam Brooks to me this year, he it's disappointing See, I, because I'm, he's trying. I don't, Go ahead. I'm, with me, I like, I like those matches because I understand what, completely what they are. And as Osprey just going out there and like fucking around with his friend. Right. And he's the only guy that's having good, like that's having like, I think watchable matches with Adam Brooks. Right. Which is, is fair. Cause that does mean that just kind of shows it's not just, it's not him um, per se. But, you know, that stuff was a little disappointing to me, especially the PWG match, um, just in general. Uh, the WrestleMania weekend, it really felt like the the Riddle match was his only match that, to me, didn't feel a little disappointing. Um, the the four-way at the WrestleCon Super Show was, I mean, with those guys, minus Brooks, who I, you know, obviously we talked about, but, like, the other three guys are all kind of, like, in the same vein and the same level for me, best flyers, like a dream match situation. And it was just, it was good, but it didn't, it didn't pop jump off the page. The match itself, um, AR Fox match, I would say was probably his second best match of the weekend to me for that weekend. Um, which is like, it's good. That's something to say, but you know, Fox has been pretty solid all year. Um, yeah, Fox, like Fox has had a good year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. AR Fox has had a very good year. I mean, I think he was just outside of my top 50. Yeah. He's 67 for me. So like he, he had a very good year. Him and Osprey had a great match there. Um, but then it was like the Haskins match was fine. The trios match at the RPW show again was just kind of there. It really felt, it honestly felt rushed. It felt like it was the prototype for the, um, for the main event at all in, in some ways, <laughs> like it was very, uh, the same thing. It was like spot, spot, spot and kind of rushed. Um, the mixed tag, which I think was a last minute change of booking because of some kind of issue, um, really sucked to me. I mean, I just was not into it and his performance. I found to be pretty bad. And the Desmond Xavier match in uh, CZW to me felt, uh, not terrible, but phoned in. Uh, but like, I don't know. Last year, he had probably what I thought was like the worst match of um, WrestleMania weekend that I saw, which was his match against Phoenix. Or maybe it was, I wouldn't say it was the worst match of the weekend, but I would say it was like one of the worst matches I've seen Osprey have. Um, right. And so it's just like maybe on WrestleMania weekends, he's just only got really one big match in him a lot of times. Um, and that, you know, it, it's kind of tough just because of how he goes so balls out. Um, it is funny thinking about that because people did put him on pedestal on a pedestal in 2016 as oh, well Osprey was the big breakout star WrestleMania weekend, and then you think about it and it's like hold on, he only had the Zach match. <laughs> yeah, the Ricochet match. I think on top of having issues because of the um, the feed breaking up. When I went back and watched it though on tape, it was not that it wasn't amazing. It wasn't like knockout. The only match that really was great was the uh, was the Zach match. Yeah, so. Maybe he's just not a WrestleMania weekend guy. That's fine. But, you know, so there were some disappointments there. The second uh, Matt Riddle match in OTT, um, I think the only disappointment I would say there is just because uh, the first match was so good this year. Yeah, like, it's because because the, that match was so good. Right, so. <laughs> right. So it wasn't like that, ma- that match was bad. He was good in Best of the Super Juniors, but had a few matches that were really formula osprey and sure, sure, sure. and that was annoying for me um the the most glaring one that i remember was the flip gordon one um just because it was this it was like the same night as the as the the blocks are going to get decided and it really felt like he just completely threw everything out the window that he had built over the course of the uh the tour just to go out and have like a moves match with flip gordon that was it's flip gordon it's not very good you know so that was annoying um 
But otherwise, I mean, I'm with you on everything. He had a lot of good stuff. I just think I, I really do feel like he took time off this year that he hasn't in the past. And that's not necessarily to say that that's bad for him, but it's like he just doesn't have as many matches as he had in the past. And part of that is like, I think he actually did spend a lot of time just in Australia. Um, and there isn't that many shows really in Australia. So even if he was trying to like work on stuff and do things, um, he's just not having a lot of performances and the ones that he are having, not all of them are making tape. I mean, we are seeing some stuff, uh, that came out of and, that. And, and, th- and then buying a house and like all that kind of stuff. Like he was like, kind of like trying to like like i guess like actually like becoming an adult right. somewhat this year right and so it's like that yeah he he definitely turned down the p- output this year so it was that was part of it too but he was i mean he was very good and i probably yeah i think you know i had him 44 i probably would have had him a lot higher if he had had just a few more matches that were close to the same level as that riddle match um was that your number 13 yeah, that's my number 13. Okay, my number 13, I think you said him just a little bit ago, is Darby Allen. Yeah, Darby Allen at 15. 15, okay. So Darby is an interesting case because he's a guy who I was pretty low on him last year for most of the year um i like well, even when, even when darby even when darby first popped up you weren't really that into him. no i mean i thought that he did a couple good freak show spots and then that was it um but this year i thought that he really brought it in a lot of places developed a lot of great character um timed his stuff better i think used his stuff better didn't as didn't do as many freak show spots but really kind of did some high spots in the right places and uh, just really developed as a wrestler, Um, being able to go from working against like spot guys, I guess you would say um, high flyer types that were, you know, kind of like he was kind of like him, but being more of a veteran presence in those matches and then turning around and um, also being a, a guy who bumps around for big monsters, uh, the pinnacle of which being probably for most people would say the Walter match um, as kind of the pinnacle for him of being that guy. But to me, I would say if just for pure ragdoll bumping around, I I'd have the Cobb match as my, as like the best match that he does of that to me personally, or, or even the, or, or even, the, or even the Keith Lee match from WrestleMania weekend or the Brody King match from AEW. He did, he did it a lot this year. Yeah. He had a lot of good ones. The Keith Lee one is actually, I think that I just fucking completely forgot about Keith Lee while I was making my lists. And that's a good point that that was, that match was great. Um, but to me, another one that really stood out was the PCO match. Uh, you talked about it yesterday. Um, or the last episode, I should say, so we don't give away the timeline. Um, the most honest PCO match, I think, I can't remember who you were saying that about, but it stuck in my head. It was Joey Janela. Joey Janela. To me, I think that Darby Allen did a great job with PCO. The match mm-hmm. had a really shitty. Yeah, finish. Joey. Joey was the most. Joey was the most honest match. Darby did the most. Darby did the best job of like making him look good. Yeah, he worked with PCO really well and didn't just kind of. He didn't bump for PCO like he did for other big monster guys, which I think was the smartest way to go for it. Um, I really liked the Matt Riddle match this year. Um, I love Austin Theory, so his matches with Austin Theory always get over to me. Um, I like those. I think those guys are really good together, honestly, um, just because I really like both guys and I think yeah they have like a good chemistry with each other. So I mean yeah they like they like came in together so and they've really been attached at the hip. Um, Remember for a while they were attached. Um, 
in a weird in the weird way with like the Priscilla, the Priscilla Kelly stuff and all that. Right. So they really always just sort of been linked to each other. So you know they're sort of bound to have good matches with how often they've been put in the same situations. Right. And and yeah, they they work super well with each other. So to me, I mean, the guys are just they're. They're a good match, and they have great match. They have great chemistry. I just watched the Mustafa Ali match, um, like yesterday or the day before, from Evolve One Sixteen. I thought that that was done super well. So, I mean, the guy is just a really super compelling babyface. I think if he had a little bit more emotion, to me, I think the only emotion you get from him is kind of pain and angst, and you don't really get. Um, any of the same kind of gripping emotions. I think that he would be in the same conversation as Dakota Kai when I talked about Babyface of the Year. I think where she edges him out is just in that regard, but his selling and everything else that he does is fantastic. But his selling and what he does is just more, fi- like it's more the physical, the physiognomy of, of being in a wrestling match or sometimes coming across as if he's in a car accident as opposed to what she does, which is a little bit more psychological. So that's kind of the the trade-off there. But um, But that's why... You know, I would say, I mean, I have him so much higher, but I wouldn't say that he's the best baby face, um, you know, and that's kind of my my sum up on uh, on Darby Allen. Um, to me, it's going to sound like way more like uh, pretentious and like insulting than I like that. I mean it that I mean it as. But I think Darby is everything that people pretend Phoenix is. OK, I think Dar- I think Darby is like the actual like perennial baby face that gives across all this like genuine pain and struggle while also having like this beautifully scintillating like beautifully scintillating flying spots that also feel completely dangerous you know one of those things um before you turn the corner on derby that we used to butt heads about is that you're like well where where are where are these skills that you were saying that darby allen has and i'm saying like, well look at it look at it on a mechanical level just look at how Darby Allen is moving. Look at how he's, he hits the ropes and how he springboards off and like how quickly he moves and all this stuff. He has the talent in him. It's just at that point, he hadn't really been in a position to showcase it. Yeah, and that made um, a huge difference. I think once he started showing that off, that's when I started to really appreciate him more. To me, I think um, you mentioned how the only emotions he really gives off are pain and angst. And, you know, I can't be mad at that. You know, there aren't a lot of people that even really explore those emotions either, really. I can maybe count maybe like two or three other people I think really explore the emotions of like being in like perennial pain and angst and struggling with yourself and your self-doubt all the time. And something about Darby that really makes this case is that very arguably he has um the best match for three of the best wrestlers in the world. You could argue that the that his Walter match is the best Walter match of the year. You could argue that his Zack match is the best Zack match of the year. You could argue that his Riddle match is the best Riddle match of the year. And that's not saying something light. Like, that matters that Darby was able to go out there and deliver with those kind of guys like that. And it's not just working with guys of that talent level and being able to deliver. He goes up there with your Anthony Henrys and Jarek 120s and your Brody Kings and is able to deliver on that same level. Having having good matches with Eli Everflies and all this kind of stuff, and Darby just really showed how well-rounded he is this year. He can go work in MLW. You can do some stuff popping up in PCW or GCW. He can do Evolve. He can do PWG. I think all the doubts about Darby Allen this year really had to be put to rest because 
anything that you could have wanted from Darby Allen, he gave you and then some. And I think everything people say about Phoenix as being, you know, one of the top five, top two best wrestlers in the world, um, I would say start watching Darby Allen if you feel that highly about Phoenix. Yeah, that's a that's a, a good point on there. All right, that was um thirteen. That was thirteen, yeah. All right, my number twelve is Kazusada Higuchi. Uh, I had Higuchi somewhere. Um, yeah, I mean your thirty-eight. Thirty-eight, yeah. Let's just be straight up here. Maybe other than Timothy Thatcher, and I might even put him above Timothy Thatcher. Kazusada Higuchi is the best seller in professional wrestling. He is a large, he what, 6'3", 240, 250-pound man. And he bumps and sells his fucking ass off. And it is the most incredible thing in the world to me. This guy doesn't have to sell as hard as he does. But being in there with um people smaller than him, like a, a Speedball, an Endo, a Hiroshima, Akito, um, Soma Takao, Mao, Kota Yumeda. Being there with smaller people, he can he will still go out there and make him look like a million bucks. And that's the biggest um, bright spot about Higuchi to me. Is that he just makes everyone look so fucking good without taking away from himself. A problem that people have with big men a lot of time in wrestling is that they are too giving. And I don't think Higuchi is too giving. I think he can bump and sell as much as he does while still coming across like this huge, like, like awakened badass when he, when he needs to be. And he strikes that balance so perfectly. Um, he has, he has a volume this year, a great D King tournament, an awesome tag team run team with Daisuke Sekimoto, um, having, uh, tag team matches against, uh, Namichi Marfuji and Hiroshima, uh, Moonlight Express of Speedball and Mao, uh, going against Kota Yumeda and Mao, and really just being like a highlight of the Maji Manji TV show. And this, to me, you know, how I talked about being really happy to see Kota Yumeda, one of the original DNA boys and one of my favorite DNA boys, really coming to his own this year, because it's not Higuchi really took that leap. You know, he was protected, he was pushed, he delivered in big time situations, he got big falls, and... I'm just really happy to see that this guy went out there and delivered every single time this year. There is not a single match from Kazusada Higuchi where I didn't think he was great in it. That's not hyperbole. I've seen pretty much everything of his that could have made tape this year, and this guy just delivered in every single thing. Six-man tags, tags, comedies, singles matches, tournament matches, tag title matches, you name it. I think Kazusada Higuchi delivered and then some and has some of the best matches in Japan this year against Speedball and Shuji Shikawa um, and uh, teaming with Sekimoto against these uh, other various tag teams. He's done it all this year, and he's my highest-ranked purely DDT guy of the year. And I think that really speaks to the kind of leap that Higuchi's made because I have him above guys like, you know, uh, Akito and Sakashita and Kota Yumeda, and Daisuke Sasaki, and Hiroshima, and Tetsuya Endo, and all that stuff, that Higuchi really was the main, the my main takeaway from watching DDT this year. Yeah, I mean, he was in that conversation for me, too, as being the, the number one 
DD or my number one DDT guy this year. He's he really is a great DDT worker for all accounts of like someone who people kind of argued with wouldn't fit in there a lot. Um, people still make certain weird ass arguments about how he doesn't fit in in DDT, which I don't understand. Um, particularly wishing that he would work in promotions that less people pay attention to, um, which is, I guess, fine. Maybe you think he'd be a better fit there. I don't see how, um, you mentioned him a couple times and every time you mention him, you, uh, have to preface the idea that you like him, uh, which is Irie. And I think you and I are both like kind of official members of the Irie stand club or fan club um, that exists. And not even because either of us love him, but because it's... Yeah, that's like, yeah, that's the thing. It's like just everyone seems so down on him. Yeah, I don't... I think we both just like are okay on him and people fucking hate on him so much that it's weird that like we're the fucking the people cheering him on. But I think... I don't think that there's anybody who has better uh, in-ring chemistry with Irie than Higuchi. Um, and I think that that goes to like kind of his style, like you talked about being big, but able to sell, but staying legitimate, um, and just, again, being able to work in DDT for a guy with his background, people kind of, I mean, even early on, I thought when he was in DNA, I thought like, I really like this guy. I think that they have something there, but I don't know if they'll use him right. And they really have, I think it's getting to the time where they need to pull the trigger on him. Um, as treating him like a top level act, but I think they probably honestly will pretty soon. Um, and then that'll be, I mean, he already has been kind of treated that way, but you know, just getting the main belt, um, and getting a a sizable run. Um, it is kind of tough because I think DDT doesn't like to have serious champions too many, you know, for too long or in a row. Um, so having Takashita just have such a long, serious championship reign and then Irie's reign being less about matches, but still not as goofy i think that they're going to want to go for some fun times for a little bit before they go to someone as serious as um higuchi but i think it is probably time for them to let him kind of be considered the top guy for the company for a little while to see what he can do because he's he's definitely there yeah and something for me is like and i mentioned how like protected um higuchi has been this year and really they've been taking their time with him and people can say that oh it's been the Takashita show for the last, like, uh, two years, year and a half or whatever. But you got to realize, like, how much they've been giving Kazusada Higuchi, like, in the meantime. And he really was the focal point of the Maji Maji TV show for such a long time. So it's not to so say you can't say that they haven't been focusing on Higuchi. You just have to, you know, stop focusing on the um, macro stuff, really, like, look at the micro and look at how much... Kazusada Higuchi's been given from your right to challenge um, bracelets and um, the tag titles and getting showcase matches every like almost every single week on Maji Manji and putting him with Daisuke Sekimoto and all that stuff. They clearly have him in plans. They just haven't been rushing him, which there's no problem with. Right. Yeah. I mean, clearly they they have him. Their plan is to have him in for the long haul, which is pretty smart and it's a pretty solid way to build him up. Um, right. with, your, with your 12 my number 12 I think you said him just a little bit ago is Kyle Fletcher yep I have Kyle Fletcher at 17 17 so yeah Kyle I mean we talked about Mark Davis and we talked about his tag the tag team matches um, again oh, we, before before you get into that I, th- I do think it's really interesting that like we didn't communicate that at all but I had Kyle Fletcher about 9 or 10 spots higher than I had Mark Davis 
and you have like the same thing going on yeah oh yeah no i mean it's to me it's huge like i mentioned it when i was talking about davis like the idea of having davis um having them as like a tag team is just out of the question just because of the quality um actually geez if you look at it i think uh, man like (laughs) um over like 20 spots different basically oh oh yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. there's a huge and i and and, yeah and i only had it from uh i have fletcher at at 17 and mark was at 27 mark was at 27 yeah for me mark so you so you yeah so you thought it was it was even wider than i thought it was yeah and i i mean yeah i really think it was i mean in the tag matches kyle was the the standout repeatedly um on top of i think he has a bigger body of singles work biggest kind of disappointment moment for me for kyle for singles matches was probably the speedball match in uh rev pro but also i think that a theme that you kind of noticed here in this year with kyle was that um even with people he had wrestled many times in the past he would have if he had like a second match with them relatively quick the second match would be better um so i think that him versus speedball as like kind of a dream matchup for me personally especially early in this year when speedball was kind of in my conversation for best wrestler in the planet um and i was already pretty high on kyle them only having one match it's like kyle's just not really a dream match guy for singles matches i think um, a guy with like, at least at least not at least just not yet. Yeah, he's a guy who's better when he gets to work a couple matches with someone. I think he needs to get a feel for them. Um, similarly with the Liger match, uh, good but not great. Um, it's also Liger at this point who is fantastic, but I think you need to know how to work with Liger, and I don't think that Kyle really did. But like, and, and, and Liger and Liger will only give out like a certain effort level for certain people right and yeah it's not gonna happen on some random ass rpw show but like jordan devlin this year um or late last year and then this year he had the first match uh was okay the second match was much better um same with omari this year um where their first match this year was fine but then the second match was phenomenal especially because that was heel kyle at that point where he was on fire from then on, especially in Fight Club Pro. Um, oh, the, at, or, the, or the Mark Davis um, Natural Progression Series qualifier match. Right. Yeah. Like, So, yeah, I mean, the heel stuff really makes him this year. I just thought he was fucking great as a heel um, in Fight Club Pro. It's just been a revelation the way that he carries himself. Uh, the match with Mako Satamora was fantastic. Um the way he carries himself in, in the in the shopping pointer tags. Yes, like yeah, just like just his general demeanor. He feels like the star of Schottenfreude. Like he's the really the focal point of that whole team that's filled with guys who end up, you know, filled with, filled with stars. Yeah, like. filled with people who end up higher than me on my list even this year as wrestlers. But he feels like the guy who stands out the most. Um, you know, carrying the championship and the way that they presented it helps with that. But but you know, it's also just like. A real switch turned. Bulking up was a good move for him, I think. Um, it would be interesting if more and more um, a heel version of Ozzy Open gets treated more like a uh, like a big like a team of two big badasses. Because comparatively, I mean, he's pretty tall. They're bigger than, yeah, they're, no, Kyle is like about as tall as Mark, right? And now he's putting on the weight, so he's like, they're really just like just kind of 
two big behemoths at this point. Right. On the indies, they should be treated like a big ass kicker tag team. And so hopefully if they continue on a heel run, they can kind of grow into that. And I think that that could also help Davis if he gets a feel for being that. He's just sometimes comes across like too much of a cuddly teddy bear type guy to believe him as a as a tough guy. And I think that Kyle is able to pull it off because he's a little bit weaselly. Um, so, yeah, I uh, yeah, I just I saw a lot out of Kyle this year, really, as a as a all around just phenomenal act and uh, and really developing himself as more than just, you know, Instagram or <laughs> the spot guy in the Aussie Open matches. He's really got his own kind of thing that's really really stands out you know really this has kind of been the year of kyle fletcher thriving in scenarios where people are like oh is this gonna work like you know at first it's tetsujin and you see kyle fletcher on, pa- on paper he's in tetsujin it's like uh like how's this gonna work and then i think him versus mark haskins is one of the best beatdowns you'll you'll see all year and it's like still like working in like inside that um shoe style vein and then you and then they turn um kyle fletcher heel and you're like oh kyle fletcher one of the best baby faces in the world what are they doing and then he's like an an amazing heel and i think that's what gets kyle so high and why like reasonably he could have been higher on my list is that i'm not sure i think he's i think he kind of maybe only second to david star and keep like look at the company i'm putting him in putting him up there with as far as being able to work both babyface and heel equally as effectively. And I might even argue that he might be a better um, heel than David Starr. I'm not sure he's a better babyface. Um, he might be better at both right now based off 2018 output. Because there weren't any great or like defining babyface performances for David Starr in 2018. And he does have the heel performances in 2018, but you no, know, so does Kyle. Like the Michael Sotomayor matches, or the Michael Sotomayor match, and um, the Amari match, and um, the Schadenfreude stuff. So I'm putting him in the same company as David Starr, and that's a guy that's like a f- potential front runner for Wrestler of the Year in 2019 as someone that could very reasonably be the Wrestler of the Year of 2018. So that's how far ahead and advanced kyle has gotten just in the last few months which is fucking insane he has the personality he has his own like i think his moveset had like we i think we talked about it last year is that kyle hadn't really like developed a signature moveset yet and i think he does i think a lot of his moveset does kind of feel like cedric alexander-ish but it's not as nearly polished and i think that's why it works is that there is this air that Kyle still isn't is still rough around the edges and everything looks a little bit more dangerous it can go off the rails and I think that makes his stuff look really unique he's still one of the best sellers in wrestling and you know we've said it a bunch of times for people already in this top 15 but this is really the cream of the crop Kyle Fletcher's one of the most complete wrestlers in the world yeah anything that you could ask for from Kyle Fletcher Kyle Fletcher delivered in space this year whether it was comedy uh, main event tags, middle of, middle of the card tags, working as a heel, working as a babyface, singles matches, anything that you could ask for, Kyle Fletcher gave you this year. And, you know, to be 19 years old and to be that complete as a wrestler, that really speaks. And, you know, we talked about, um, or people was, were going crazy about how great Tyler Bate is. And people, like, you know, even me included, will talk about how great Scotty Davis is. But they're like physical freaks. 
Kyle Fletcher is just a complete performer. And you don't get that that often this early in the game. Yeah, and Kyle, we t- I talked about it last year with Kyle. He doesn't have... He doesn't have the the most polished execution, and he doesn't have stuff that he feels like he makes or was making his own then because he didn't have things that stood out that only he could do. But he's really started to develop that this year as being a guy who has his stuff, his signature things that stand out. But it's still his execution. You talk about being a physical freak. His execution is not the same because he's not a physical freak guy. He's just a really talented performer who, again, he put has to put everything into what he's doing to make it what it is and one thing you talk about the chance like everything giving the the well-rounded of being in every position it's like this year he kind of was defocused on being a guy who and it's it is a common thing in especially in the uk indies um the scramble match guy which is like something that it oh. felt like was one of his strong suits the past couple of years is being a guy thrown into scramble match settings but that didn't really happen anymore this year it really felt like it was a focus if he wasn't in a tag team match with mark davis he or with schadenfreude um multi-man he was in singles matches there wasn't a lot of like throwing him into scramble settings and it just goes to show like that people are recognizing his talent that he's not a guy who's just being put in you know throwaway scramble match settings yeah and that's something that you know said like an lp like that became like lp's role this year and then lp was eventually able to uh get bigger opportunities in uh in rev pro but yeah, Kyle go like really seem like seamlessly going from being like a perennial scramble match and multi man to like multi tag team match guy. Like, no, he can go out there and like completely command a crowd and carry a match and do other stuff with just two people or like on his own. Kyle Fletcher can go out there and face Ring Comp and feel like he's not out of place. Kyle Fletcher can go out there and face uh Michael Sadamora, feel like he's out of place. And really, I think what makes it for Kyle is, say, you look comparatively at Omari. And Omari's on that major list last year. Yeah. And Omari just didn't improve this year. And that's like sort of, and it's really like my biggest takeaway from um, the English scene in general this year is that the people that you thought were going to step up this year, they just didn't. You know, like your Chris Ridge, Chris Ridgeway and Omari. Prime, like prime examples of guys that were, like had it like all laid out for them and if they just stepped it up a little bit more they could have really did something and they just didn't and kyle fletcher you know as a guy that wasn't even pushed that way was able to come out come out the blue and do it and while omari and ridgeway were set up perfectly to have those kind of years yeah yeah that's true and even like uh, another guy like drew parker you know someone who should have been set up and was a focal point of a of a faction and attack and really didn't uh didn't really end up cashing in on any of that the same way um yeah so that was right, uh, uh, that's 12 for me so yeah it's 12 and you might have and you're gonna have my 11 higher since you haven't set him yet or at least we have a, unless we have him at the same spot which i doubt but uh my 11 is speedball my ha! we do have him at the same spot <laughs> um so uh Take it away, I'll make Bailey. Yeah, it's funny we both have him at eleven because it does feel it kind of feels right compared to like being a, a, a top ten guy, um, which is I know kind of dumb. But in the beginning of the year, I mean, whew, probably until I'd say until like like March or April. Yeah, March April, he was cl- like almost clearly the best wrestler on the planet. Um, it was just like every match that he had was phenomenal uh amazing babyface seller um obviously great fire all of his offense is like 
on top of just being insanely cool, like executed perfectly and looks legit. Even his weird convoluted flying looks like it hurt would hurt like hell. Um, so just, yeah, I mean, had the best Travis Banks match all year to me in Riptide. Great match with Keith Lee and OTT. Great match with David Starr in, in uh, RPW. Um, WXW has a weird series where they kind of have him have a title match with Klinger and then build up to him getting another title match over a tour. Um, it's just like all a bunch of great matches repeatedly that he's having throughout um, the tour and then both title his, matches. His, his entire his entire 16 carat run facing um like the tag match opening night teaming with Walter against uh Bobby and Bad Bones the Bobby match the ambi- like the ambition run like hell yeah. his um match with Mark Haskins from Inner Circle is like again like one of those like like really flawless matches on a mechanical level yeah just repeatedly knocking it out of the park with these fucking phenomenal man I mean. Yeah, I don't know that anybody was coming close to him early in the year for match quality. Then people start to catch up. Um, he was the bet. He was my best performer in ambition, um, as far as I was concerned. Mm. Every one of his matches were fantastic. Um, even and I mean, even with Tim winning that year, I think Tim wasn't at the same level that he was last year, even in ambition this year, even though he was winning. Um, he was great, but he just didn't have the same level that he had last year. But uh, Mike Bailey brought it this year. Um, and then, yeah, and then it's like a lot of DDT focus after that. D-King is over. D-King was a big one for him because he was just having match after match. And he's a good tag team worker. Um, whatever whatever the name. Mo- him, Moonlight Express, Moonlight which, Express which, is like, which, which is like very clearly like DDT on some level trying to like 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 you know, trying to like trying to recreate the Golden Lovers pairing. Right. And it's it's similar. It, I It's not... I don't know. It's not necessarily, I think, the best use of Mike Bailey, but it works. Um, and hopefully at some point both guys can be split apart and focused on. Because it'd be interesting if they did something like that with uh, with Mike. Um, I, want, I, want, I want heel Bailey. Like I, like I feel like they're really going for a Kenny and um, Coda dynamic with Mao and Speedball. But I would love to see speedballs aren't like turn complete heel eventually yeah because that helped him last year a lot too was having a little kind of heel teasing run in ddt that he didn't really have this year um so like he if, has it once and like he has it once and that's like only in his match with so much a cow from the first oh, DK. yeah yeah and it's fucking it's a fucking awesome match and it's like well why don't we get more heel speedball what's going yeah, on here? why can't we do i understand I, I get when you look at him that you don't think he's the guy to do it but he's great in ddt especially as a heel um, that's why, like, he has a Takashita match this year that doesn't come close to the match from last year. Um, I really liked his match with Sammy Gravara in uh, in DDT. Um, Sammy Sammy was good in DDT in general. I actually yeah. should have watched more of him there, and I wish he had. More I think there. I think I think I think in general, I maybe should have gave Sammy a little bit more consideration. Yeah, he 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 wrestled all over the place this year, and he delivered in situations where you're like, oh, like a Sammy Gravara can work here. It's like, no, like he. He delivered everywhere. Yeah, and I, yeah, you know that's true. I should probably rethink where he's at. I don't think he would make the fifth, top fifty, but yeah, wouldn't make top fifty, but definitely a top one hundred. Yeah, he's a one hundred guy for sure. Um, the the Walter match in Riptide was fantastic. Um, just yeah, I mean Fight Club or not Fight Club Attack showing up in Attack um, for the tag match with him and Veda Scott <laughs> and against uh, LP and. Charlie Evans, the paranormal act activity or whatever. Um, his his, de- his debut um, in progress against Eddie Dennis, not 
great and maybe not even like the guy not even like the guy i would give him off the bat no like <laughs> but, like i said when i saw it booked it makes sense in like the context if you think of both guys as having like martial arts backgrounds but it doesn't make sense and it didn't end up being that match which he has good versions of that match um specifically like the higuchi match um from d king i think was like one of the best examples of that that he does i really like that and ambition overall too it's kind of that style um but eddie dennis it doesn't really uh you know show up in that in the match in progress unfortunately um but like the the chris ridgeway match was a good example of kind of doing that those guys worked well together because of that kind of martial arts inspired style the match with Pac in Rev Pro was phenomenal and actually kind of helped bump him up a little bit last minute because it was the last match I saw from him from this year. Um, I don't know. To me, probably the best Pac match we've had so far um, since the return, which is not saying a whole lot. Um, I think if I was watching the current D-King right now, that might have helped him too, but I'm not. Um, I, I haven't heard a lot of people coming out though saying that he's having a lot of great matches there, but maybe I'm just missing that, and he is. Um, yeah, he is. Um, from what I've seen, like I've only seen um about three of his matches, but the Takashida and Endo matches definitely deliver. Okay, so yeah, I may have to go and and check those out relatively soon, and and edit my ballot for when it's time for the We Don't Know Wrestling 100 ballot to get turned in. But as of right now, I mean, the guy, like I said, the guy for. Almost half the year was probably the best wrestler in the world um, as just pure execution in ring. And then after that, it just kind of petered out, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it, just got, yeah it just got overwhelming because other people started having, you know, they're able to catch up because they're getting more opportunities to have these singles matches and all that stuff all over the world. And, you know, that's just the nature of the beast with this kind of stuff. But I do think that at, I do think that at his best, I mean, I, I can't name at his best five wrestlers i think are better than like bailey like at his absolute best he like he like he's like he completely completely solidified that kind of talent for me this year after kind of like me and you were both in agreement that he was like kind of on his way there and he kind of like like caps capped off about at about like 15 16 for us on our list right now like just outside of the top 10 yeah and it's like the people that we have above him are like Again, people that we all at one point were considering for number one, and Bailey was a guy that we considered for number one too. Yeah, he had a he had a really solid run, like I said, this year where it would make sense to have him as the number one. So it's like, I think next year he's going to easily be a top ten guy um, if he keeps up kind of what he's doing this year. And uh, and again, like the like the, just the, the landscape of wrestling changing, you know, people that we that we have, you know, high in some regards are going to be moving on to different things and it makes the space wide open all right so what do, i guess you would go now right because that was both of our 11 you would go next yeah um and, uh, my 10 you probably have higher is uh timothy thatcher yeah i've got him a little bit higher my 10 you're not gonna have at all is tom lawler i did not have time but i really did consider considering for my list yeah he was i mean i i you know, I followed, um, I used to follow the Observer and I liked him on podcasts and I thought he was cool when he was just an MMA fighter. And then you find out his backstory and he started out as a wrestler and all this. And then obviously he pisses hot in UFC and starts wrestling. And when he started out, it's like, oh, that's exciting for me. I like, you know, shoot boys. Obviously, if you listen to my style, I'm into that. But as he puts it together, starts getting bookings, starts getting treated properly, he becomes a revelation for a guy who gets it. Um... It makes sense because he became 
something in UFC through um, the Ultimate Fighter. So obviously he understands wrestling. And he always has been a wrestling fan and he trained to wrestle before he did it. But I mean, Ultimate Fighter was a, in a lot of ways, a wrestling show. Like it was a wrestling TV show. They treated it like a reality show, but it's the same as Total Divas or something. It's really about building wrestling drama on television and ultimate fighter was great because you're actually building to fights as opposed to a lot of other reality shows where you're not so i mean the pure link to pro wrestling is clearly there um amazing promo guy um really good with everyone he works this year gresham match in black label pro early on this year was fantastic um the well i won't mention the art the match with mvp because it's mvp it doesn't matter but it was good i mean lawler carries that match well um the walter match at Bloodsport, i really really liked i think other people weren't as into it but i loved it um ach match in mlw is fantastic um nick gage match was good i actually liked the way he worked gage in black label pro for the heavyweight championship it was like very cool way for him to kind of act like you know he was playing a dick heel using MMA and and grappling to fight the deathmatch guy and trying to bring the deathmatch guy into his world. It's a really interesting way to do that, um, especially as a heel being like a technical wrestling heel against a brawling babyface. It was kind of perfect. Um, the match where he loses the title to Jordan Grace was great. He really works super hard to get Grace over. Um, so yeah, I mean, great match with with a uh, what's his name big fucker jack swagger um the first match was shaky second match was really big good fucker. yeah man um the i watched him have a match in a fucking bar without a wrestling ring against brody king that was like really good for that setting uh he really knew what he was he, doing he, tom is surprisingly adaptable like yeah you tom could really tom could really do anything or thrive anywhere yeah i mean he shows it throughout the year especially in black label pro i mean he wrestles like cw anderson but he can like switch over to wrestling guys like dom garini he can wrestle like i said with nick gage he can wrestle with jake hager and he can make everyone look good it was a brawl in a bar no ring and he fucking brought it and he got the crowd into it everyone was super into it people were there that i knew that don't care about wrestling they're just there and they're asking me about him and all this and they're super into him so yeah i mean he can just he can do it all he and he cuts great promos heel or baby face um i think he's got a i compared him he's kind of like if you know if matt riddle is for you know the families and the dylan hales crowd uh then tom lawler is the same version of that but like i said for like the f4w board crowd the guys who like you know like to make jokes about the iron chic smoking crack and fucking people's asses and stuff like he's got that sensibility but he can also turn on the family guy squeaky clean promos as a baby face that works super well too so as a professional wrestler he's more well-rounded than i think matt riddle ever was um and as a mm. guy who can be the top of the card champion i think that I don't think that there's really anybody better that I would pick on the U.S. Indies to be my guy if I was going to try to book something like similar to the way that like MLW is doing. It's really smart. Like they looks like they should put the title on him or I would even say like Powerbomb TV title. Like he's your guy if you wanted that traveling champion for like an NWA style where he can go from promotion to promotion, wrestle the best guy, the rest, best person there as he even showed with Jordan Grace. Um while going heel baby depending on what he needs to do talking people into the room and then he's got the legitimate background of being a ufc fighter so he's got that to put on his resume as well to where he's believable he can come into any territory and people automatically 
know what they expect. And then he's really smart about how to play the crowds to get, um, to get them to buy into what he's doing and what kind of match he's working. And then it didn't, it, it also helped in black label pro. He, he was uh, started adapting using a sleeper hold and coming out to a passion pit. And he's wearing a, a, a sleeping mask and a pillow as he's, it's supposed to be, he had fallen asleep. So that's just like, it's just stupid, funny shit that he does too. So he's just got a lot of personality and, um, and, but can also, when it's time to turn it on and be serious, can come across like a real ass kicking fighting machine. So, um, it's just like, he's really super well-rounded. And like I said, if I was, you know, NWA and I'm looking for a guy to carry the banner for our company now that Cody Rhodes is gone or whatever, uh, he's the guy I think I'm going with. He's the most easily into slipped into any slot and believable as a top guy that I think there that you can find right now uh, as a freelancer in America. Yeah, I really can't argue with you. You know, especially in, like, the landscape that we're about to be in in 2019. It feels like more places should be investing in Tom Lawler, but they're not. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out why. Because, you know, say, like, a place like Impact. They put all that time and effort behind, like, a Bobby Lashley. And I'm like, Tom Lawler can do that way more effectively than Bobby Lashley ever could have, I think. Yeah, no. And a part of that, too, is, like I said, the the talking. He can talk people into the building the way that other people can't. So... Mm. yeah no i mean i th- i can understand it up until recently because maybe people were afraid he was going to go back to ufc but now he's completely free and clear they they cut him from his contract there so it's like yeah more places should be focusing on him right and by nine again unless you have unless we have the same spot you're gonna admire me but um jonathan Gretel. <laughs> <laughs> same spot yep. this is this is number <laughs> three for us of guys in the same spot i think but yeah which is which is funny because we really thought that we wouldn't have that much like Cross- crossover. Yeah, no, issue. for sure. So yeah, um, I guess I'll lead off on Gresham. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, performance by performance, again, like maybe the second best wrestler in the world this year, just going like from performance, from performance, and elevating people that are not nearly as polished as he is in bringing greatness out of them. That's really like the most of the case for Jonathan Gresham. You know, being able to elevate your guys like a, uh, like a Sage Phillips to having really having good matches with them. And I'm not saying like he helped elevate Tom Lawler because Tom Lawler was already really good, but having like that kind of like long um, main event style match with Tom Lawler really showed um, t- how Tom Lawler was, was ready to step up his game, being in there with a guy like Jonathan Gresham. Uh, guys like Kenny King, Chuck Taylor, uh, Shane Taylor. You know, anytime Gresham was in the ring with somebody, it felt like he was helping elevate them or make them look better. And, you know, that comes from years of Gresham being used or viewed as an enhancement guy in Ring of Honor. But, when he finally got that ball to go out and just start having these awesome matches in Ring of Honor, he just didn't let up. And clearly the crown jewel of that is the uh, the Jay Lethal series. And to me, at, at points in that, Jonathan Gresham felt like the best wrestler in the world. You felt like you were watching the best wrestler in the world watching Jonathan Gresham work and sell and go after uh, Lethal's um, arm and leg in those matches in his pacing and his timing and the counter wrestling and the chain wrestling. And you just felt like you're watching 
the best wrestler in the world. And that's sort of like the gut feeling you love when you watch wrestling. It's like you watch someone grind and grind and grind and get to where they are now for years. And you see him get to that spot and he absolutely kills it every single time out. And that was just like a sense of pride watching Jonathan Gresham this year that he's really finally got everything that he's ever earned in professional wrestling. And I still think he has a higher ceiling than um, ROH even maybe views. You know, he runs the um, training school right now, but I do think Jonathan Gresham could be, you know, if they brought back the pure title in the, in the hypothetical world. If they wanted to give him a TV title run, a tag title run, give him more chances at the world title, I feel like Gresham has that kind of mileage in him because at the end of the day, people like to see great wrestling. And Jonathan Gresham gives you great wrestling every time out. And so not only him really finally taking that ball and running with it in Ring of Honor, you get to see him surface again um, doing stuff with CCK. Um, and granted, some of this is where I think his case does kind of teeter off. But say stuff like the Aussie Open match from uh, Summer Sizzler or the uh, stuff from DTTI going up against Chosen Bros and Mustache Mountain or the CCK match versus Okami from World Tag Team League. Great matches, great matches to add to his resume. He t- teaming, teaming with Jay Lethal against the Young Bucks in England and having and having having an awesome match with them. To me, you just got to see every single dimension of Gresham. You got to see the master class technician. You got to see the world class high spot guy. You got to see the smooth guy. You got to see him sort of like delve into a shoot style or like like vaguely shoot style kind of sitting with Zack Sabre Jr. at Final Battle, which no one would have expected based off how their previous matches with each other have gone. You got to see him have an incredible tournament run in the Super Indie facing, um, uh, God, I can't remember that guy's name. And it's no disrespect to him, but whoever he faces in the first round of the Super Indie, going on to face Joey Janela, and then going on to face David Starr in the final. You get to see that kind of incredible run. And, you know, the Tom Lawler match that we just talked about, he has the quality. And because he has the Ring of Honor obligations, obviously, he wasn't able to branch out too much. But, God, like, the guy is so fucking great in everything that he got to do this year. And, like, the one match that we got robbed of this year, I mean, let me mention his match with Timothy Thatcher from Nova Pro, which is really fucking awesome. And, like, the one match that we got robbed of from him this year is a match with Daniel Makabe. And if we do get that match between those two this year, then, like, who knows that, who knows if that could have um, catapulted both of them um, up or less even, even higher. But, the reason why Jonathan Gresham does kind of stay at nine, despite the fact that I feel like at his best, he had like the best performances I've seen this year, or he was like the second best wrestler in the world based on performances, is he does kind of stop having great matches around like September, like around like August, September. He doesn't, he's not having that quality of stuff anymore. You know, the gap between like um the Zach match in the Aussie Open match from Summer Sizzler, you know, it's four months. And it's not to say not to say he wasn't having good matches in between that time. I'm lower on the um Jay Lethal thirty minute um Iron Man match than most people. Which is really good, but again, not hitting that same level of greatness for me. So 
Gresham goes a good four months without a great match in my eyes. And not only that, I feel like somewhat in Tagley, he kind of drops the ball because he starts to play more Kid Lycos than being Jonathan Gresham, which is personally not what I wanted to see. And he does kind of go back to being Jonathan Gresham in the final against uh, um, JFK. But I do think um, some of the CCK run really hurts. You know, the Rinkoff matches on paper, Chris Brooks and Jonathan Gresham versus Timothy Thatcher and Walter. That should be home run out of the park. There's no way these matches don't rule kind of stuff. And yet both times in RevPro and in WXW, those matches aren't great. And that is and that is a knock. So that's the only real stuff I have against Jonathan Gresham this year. But other than that, every single time I watched him, I felt like I was watching the best wrestler in the world. And I've said that about Jonathan Gresham for a couple of years now. Even before that, before we um before I even had the platform to podcast and voice my opinions, I felt like at his best, Jonathan Gresham was the best wrestler in the world. And right now, I'm just happy that in twenty eighteen more eyes were on him, and a lot of people were starting to agree with that statement. Right. And yeah, in a lot of ways, it's funny because you talk about him being maybe number two best wrestler in the world this year for execution. And, you know, I was just talking about similarly with Speedball, and those guys had that um, best of the best final from like 2014, maybe 2015. Um, that was like, to me, it felt like, oh, this is it. These are the guys. Like, this is going to be the, the the future of indie wrestling coming up pretty soon. And I felt like both guys got weirdly derailed in different ways, um, with Gresham being just, like, not getting those opportunities anywhere until just recently. And and with Speedball getting banned from the USA after having becoming, like, a super hot run in PWG. But this year, I felt like Gresham really got it. Last year... I was enjoying the Powerbomb TV stuff towards the end of the year, Powerbomb TV title stuff. Um, and then he has a little bit of that early on this year, uh, but it's not, he's not quite at the same level of quality um, until he drops the title to, um, to Tracy Williams. Um, gets a lot more high profile stuff. The, uh, the super indie overall was great for him. Um, Nova pro using him as more of a focus helped in a lot of ways. He had a lot of good matches there as well um the Karen q match from um the the wrestlemania weekend was a standout wrestlemania weekend match as well um so that helped him quite a bit if he had ended up in blood sport or something that would have helped so maybe he can end up there this year we'll see um the dan makabe match you know the the tease that we got of a match is definitely one that's uh still kind of on your in your brain is something that would be really cool to see happen soon. You know, it's, it's really, it's really, it's really the one that got away this year. Yeah. Like going into WrestleMania weekend, my most anticipated match was Walter versus Darby Allen. And when Darby got hurt, we got, um, got that match taken away and eventually they rebooked it and it like knocked it out of the fucking part. So if say if like, if that match didn't happen, like Walter versus Darby and Gresham versus um, Dan would have been like my two, like, complete pipe dream matches that I got robbed of in 2018. Yeah, right? Um, but then he's also, you know, he's got a really good thing for is having great matches with guys who don't really have any matches close to as good or better. Like, 
Um, there's a Flip Gordon match. Um, I liked the one last year more um, when he was defending the Powerbomb title against him, but he had a good one with him on ROH TV this year. The Josh Briggs match in Beyond is another one where it's like no one else has matches that good with Josh Briggs. Because Josh Briggs fucking sucks. Like. Yeah, yeah, really good TV <laughs> matches with like Kenny King, Cody Rhodes as well in ROH that like – Again, guys that don't have matches that good. I mean, I think you have to be Kota Ibushi to have good matches with uh, Cody Rhodes. That's why another dropped ball that was like a major bummer was that he had a TV match with Kushida. And again, like you would say, and people do say, don't get your hopes up. It's ROH TV. Why is it going to be that good? But up until that point, Grisham had really delivered even on ROH TV matches. So Yeah, and then you like you have this like potential dream match right in front of you. Then it's just like, oh, but even then, like as like a joke, which as a joke between like us in the group chat, we had we have we have a theory now on why Kushida <laughs> versus Gresham wasn't that good. <laughs> yeah, let's just uh, we'll we'll skip over that one because uh, you know we don't need to make people think that the Slack chat is some form of like a some weird fucking Trump Reddit or something or not no, not that like a like it's like uh, QAnon inside our Slack chat or something. Yeah. Uh, but then he does have another dream match that d- I wouldn't say wasn't as much kind of missed the mark, but wasn't as much of a dream match as with Tim Thatcher. And then you talk about the ring conf tag and it is, it is like, does Grisham just not have charisma with Thatcher? Is that the problem? I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's just like, which is weird because like, I like the Nova pro match and I like the idea of it. And I really like their beyond match in 2014, but it's like, what the fuck happens in these ring conf matches? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I've been told that the Shane Taylor match in VIP uh, wrestling in in Texas was really good. I didn't see it, uh, but that would be impressive because it's Shane Taylor. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> he shows up replacing Lycos, and it, like you said, I think he has some good showings for that. That um, that he's still John Gresham, but he has some matches where it does feel like he's trying to fill in for Lycos, and it's too it's very obvious. Um, the tag team match with Sage Phillips against Sadkomp was was a lot of fun. It was really good. Um, you know, so he's got that stuff. The Jay Lethal stuff is the stuff I think everyone's gonna be is gonna be talking about and is talking about from him from the end of the year, basically. But um then he also kind of sews up the very, very end of his year with the just recent um match against Zack Sabre Jr. at Final Battle that's phenomenal. So hopefully he shows that like, you know, that Jay Lethal series wasn't the pinnacle of what he's going to do and that he's continuing on going into next year and hopefully we do get some more um high profile matches next year hopefully we get some uh some of these dream matches that we're hoping for with him next year i think it's very likely um that we do and he continues to move forward so Another one that I would like, just personally, because it always sticks in my head, is a rematch from that best of the best match. Him and Mike Bailey, I think, uh, could have another killer match if they got the chance here pretty soon. All right. So since I went uh, last and after we had uh, both had Mike Bailey at 11, how about you go ahead and take this number eight? Okay. My number eight, I think you already just had him a little bit ago, so that does kind of work out, is uh, Masashi Takeda. Yeah, Masashi Takeda at 19. 19. Yeah. So, I mean realistically like i've said i always put a premium on on a a really good champion and masashi takeda has been just phenomenal as the uh, deathmatch champion ch- champion in bjw which is i think a lot of people might think of as not meaning much but in big japan the the deathmatch title means everything really for that company um so you know him being just 
fucking killer as the champion that just has these insane matches that also still like big japan is really good about having a psychology to their death matches that come through um they have some old timers that just do straight up blood and guts and that's it but they have the people who are really focused tend to really have a certain archetype to the story that they tell um it plays into kind of the branding of big japan in a lot of ways if you think of like deathmatch survivor um and the way that they kind of refer to that is that big japan deathmatch style is a lot of um a lot about endurance and ultimate endurance of just insane pain um and that's kind of the storyline that they tell um it's not just like kind of doing gimmicks to do it but it's like continuing it's it's like a hybrid of like fighting spirit and deathmatch you know it's about proving that you can take the punishment and the the way that things move up the ladder for surviving at the end where it's not necessarily you don't really come out of it seeming like you you won you do seem like you survived like you made it through which he does super well um he's also a phenomenal just wrestler outside of death matches um he doesn't show that off a lot this year but he does have a few token spots especially um like in all japan and uh and realistically that's about it um where he really shows off that he can wrestle he's got a shoot background of some kind that i can't remember something like mma or something along those lines and he can bring that into the deathmatch arena or into non-death matches when he gets a chance to um he feels like a big deal he feels like a huge star um he was amazing in the uh nick gage invitational um really impressive the asami kodaka match obviously is the match that everyone's talking about at the end of the year um or we're talking about it uh people are talking about it as match of the year i don't actually personally think that's an insane take um i haven't decided on what my match of the year would be but it's possible um there's a strong contingent of people who've kind of claimed takeda wrestler of the year um i can see it like i said everybody at this point it was in my conversation at some point of thinking of him as the wrestler of the year and a lot of that comes from just the gravitas that he carries himself with the way that he makes every match feel like a big fucking deal the way that he makes having the the championship that he has including the you know not just the championship of uh, big japan but also in freedoms as feeling like insanely important um so yeah it's uh He's just, like I said, some the depth with which that he really does have, he shows off inside of the context of, of um, deathmatch wrestling. But you can see him outside of that and you can realize how, how completely talented he is, but it's not a huge departure. Like he does he does bring a lot of the same stuff to his deathmatches that he does in non-deathmatch wrestling as well. So just a, a really well-rounded wrestler. He gets it like working um, a crowd. It's it's a lot of psychology to what he does. It's not lazy. And I think a lot of people think of deathmatch wrestling as lazy, but he's anything but lazy. I mean, the guy just puts a lot into everything he does. Um, he just happens to use weapons and blood and, and lights, tubes and fire and all that shit. Um, but like when it bare bones comes down to it, like he's actually a really amazing, compelling babyface ace, um, that, uh, that just feels like a star everywhere he goes. To me, in um, there's like sort of similar to what, like I guess what what Nick Gage was able to accomplish last year. And for me, I think he's having better matches than Nick Gage was having last year for the most part. But um, 
It's actually just here to kind of being able like to capture the imagination of people that aren't deathmatch fans. I think really speaks to the kind of year he's having. And it's not to say that he's like wrestles a more mainstream, acceptable uh, style of deathmatch. He does get really insane with it. And it's not just purely, you know, we're going to go 100 miles an hour and do this kind of stuff. He does have something like the Jun Kasai match, which I think for me and you and everyone else in our chat, we're um so in love with that match. And we totally get why the Asami Kadaka match was what, is what captured people's imaginations. But for us, like the pacing and uh, unselfishness, unselfishness in that match from Kasai and all that stuff is what makes that match so great to us as it's a little bit more uh, deliberate and methodical when it builds as opposed to just going out from the gate and doing every doing the most insane stuff you can. And to me, I think the fact that Masashi Takeda was really able to capture the hearts and minds of all these people who aren't necessarily these big um big Japan deathmatch fans or freedom fans or whatever the fuck like it speaks to like the kind of year he was having and the way he was able to penetrate the culture. And, you know, he would like, granted, GTW is always from bringing over these, um, uh, imported names from Mexico and Japan to participate in their tournaments. But it really got to such a fever pitch for, uh, Takeda that they had to bring him over for the Net Gage Invitational. And I thought he was really good in it. But yeah, I'm, it's really like a comparable, comparable, comparable thing with, uh, with him and Gage were able to both accomplish accomplish in these in their respective years. Granted, Gage had more of the promo and character thing going on, but Takeda just had to go out there and wrestle every single time. And the way he was able to blend, like you said, the bare bones wrestling when it came down to it at the end of the day, and incorporated with these light tubes and glass and nutty high spots, that's a complete wrestler. And he was still able to go out and do like the junior tag tournament in All Japan Pro Wrestling, teaming with uh team with like Murahama so it really shows you how complete Masashi Takeda really is and you know took his place in 2018 as the deathmatch king of the world um that was my eight all right and my number eight is Kento Miyahara I do not have Kento yeah and a lot of people seem like seem to be down on Kento this year and I'm not sure I understand that, to be totally honest with you. Because Kento still has the volume that he's had in every other year. Now, I get it. Like, being like Kento Miyahara is having such a great year, like, isn't becoming, like, the most, like, unique take to have. It's been three years now of Kento on top and being the ace and constantly having the title and the main events and all. I get it. But to me, you know, there's no problem with, with rewarding consistency. And to me, I go and look through my matches of the year document and I see that Kento's had a couple of really awesome matches with, with, with Zeus. I really like him versus Namichi Marafuji. Like him versus Shuji Ishikawa and, uh, and um, Jake Lee and Kengo Mashimo. In uh, it's a year where Kento had the sort of struggle more than any year he's had to before. Um, maybe 
again, like 2017, he had his struggles too. He sat there and he lost to Shuji, won the title back, and immediately lost to Suwama. And right here, you see the first time it happens with a generational rival as Kanto has to go and deal with this uh, force named Zeus finally getting it all together and being able to win the title. And I thought the kind of stuff that they were able to do was fantastic as it really was. So um almost went back to like the like the basics of the old all Japan title match style as it's uh as the first match really is about um establishing that Kenso couldn't hit certain moves and Zeus was just a better man today and he was able to get certain things done and the second one is much more intense. They're able to hit moves they weren't able to hit before. And it's about timing and who was able to last longer. And it's so straight to the point and really at the root of what makes um, Japanese um, title matches so great sometimes. I think he was able to get some of the, I think he was able to get the best Mar- Namichi Marfuji matches that I've seen in a couple years um, out of him this year. I really I liked him versus Joe Doring um in the title switch. I like I thought it was just as good as um Doring versus uh Zeus. And I know people probably wouldn't probably wouldn't agree with that because they really like Doring versus Zeus and I get it. But for what I like, um I really like what the, I really like what they offered there. I liked his Royal Road run a lot facing uh Jake Lee, Mashimo, and all these and all these other guys on the road to Getting the title back from Zeus, get a strong champions carnival. I wouldn't, uh, and I'm like, at first I was thinking maybe I wouldn't say he's the best guy, because I would say Junakiyama had a really strong um, champions carnival too. And then look at it, and it's like at worst he had like the second best um, run during the champions carnival, maybe third behind Shingo, and that's about it. Kento still delivered and. I guess I get it. I feel like a lot of it, at least for some people, is that saying Kento is one of the best wrestlers in the world isn't some spicy hot take anymore, and you're you're not banging some drum for some unheralded guy at this point. Everyone knows about Kento. If you watch um any kind of Japanese wrestling other than New Japan, you're bound to have heard about or seen Kento at this point. But I feel like Kento continues to thrive and grow. And added new wrinkles as this ace figure in all Japan pro wrestling. And like you said, you're sitting here rewarding guys for being great champions. And I think something that you notice in my list is that I do reward guys that keep delivering on the same level. Granted, Kento, you could say it's sort of stagnant, but stagnant while still being the ace. Like, there's only so much you can do there. And say, like, my, like for my personal rankings, Kento has never been above, like, seven or eight. On the, on the list we've done so far. But he's still like pretty much making every top 10 that we've done. Or every top 10 every year for me. So it just speaks to the level of output that Kento Miyahara continues to have every single year. And there can be, you know, shiny new toys and people will win the title and come back and do whatever. But at the end of the day, Kento Miyahara is the top guy. And the top guy is still going out there and delivering in every tournament and every title match that he's having this year. Yeah, and I mean, part of it too is that I you talk about being the person banging the drum for Kento as I never have been. Um, I appreciate that he's very good and one of the best in the world. Um, 
But because I was never super behind him and because I have finally kind of cherry picked a lot more, that cherry picking means that like I didn't watch a lot of his matches because he's not a guy that I think to watch matches a lot of times from. Um, so that's kind of why I hate doing that way. I hate kind of cherry picking and not watching complete shows because I feel like what you end up doing is just kind of like reinforcing your opinions instead of actually exposing yourself to seeing what's going on. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, he's he's missed my list a couple years now basically every year um and it's partially because of that like kind of similar thing um do you want me to go to seven now yeah you can go ahead okay my number seven i think you said just a little bit ago maybe not ach and not ach at 16 which again fucking shocks me that you have to <laughs> so high again it's like the amazing champion thing and i understand where you're coming from because i've been I've been down on him. You, yeah, you've been really critical of ACH, like, yeah. like, board, like borderline insulting of him. But I feel like a lot of that was gone this year. I didn't see any of the bullshit from him this year. Um, the closest thing to bullshit from him was like sometimes coming up with stuff and overselling. Um, some of the leg stuff, like wrapping the thigh and the way that he puts the leg stuff into into every match to me feels like sometimes it's a little bit over the top and like he should do it. He should sell less and be less focused on that and like that's like kind of the opposite of my issues with him before with stuff being over the top goofy um not being serious shit canning all selling constantly and it was just like this year it all came together um early in the year had this great match with thor throw and nlw that like set really set the year up for him to me as like seeing him as a phenomenal performer um wins the aaw title and then, then kind of that's where he proceeds to make his bones for the year as a top level performer having amazing aaw title defense after amazing defense as this like super compassionate compelling baby face um like i said with this just phenomenal selling um really great spots back and forth everything looks good toned down shored up his kind of striking game really filled out in a way where he looks super tough like similar to what we talked about with Kyle Fletcher and Will Ospreay, he comes into his own as an ass kicker and not just a, a flippy guy. Um, MLW, he's got a, a great amount of really good matches in MLW this year. Stuff with like Matt Riddle, uh, Jerry, or not Jerry, Tom Lawler, um, Phoenix starts tagging with um, Rich Swan and uh, has some interesting matches there where he's clearly just like completely making everything passable with just how good he is with swan being just like what he is now which is not very good um not he's not terrible but he's just not he's just not the guy anymore um i mean i probably would say he was the best performer of the best of the super juniors to me um just off the top of the head off the top of my head i feel like that was correct i can't think of who i liked more in it this year um except for i mean maybe um El Desperado, but like that would be super close. Um, yeah, I mean, I talked about Will Ospreay's match with Flip Gordon being trash, and it was like what made it even worse was comparing it to ACH's match with Flip Gordon, where it was like, God damn, like how did he do this? How did he have this match? Um, and he continued to really pull that off with pretty much everyone. I think the only person who was too committed to being terrible to have a good match with ACH and Best of the Super Juniors was Bushi, who, um, it's funny because Bushi isn't always like the worst, but 
uh, sometimes he'll be he gets a little bit committed, like I said, to being very bad. And uh, even ACH can't overcome that. Uh, the match with Tiger Mask was fucking amazing. Like it was so good. It was like close to probably being my match of the whole best of the Super Juniors, which how much I liked it, which was like super impressive because it's Tiger Mask and like Tiger Mask isn't bad, but very few people have that good of matches with Tiger Mask. Um, David Star match for the AAW title, the the one in um, fuck, I'm so bad at months. Uh, April, no June. Um was fucking great uh saw him in pcw a couple times including a match with hammerstone which was a lot of fun um hammerstone i've seen basically only have good matches with other people who are great um so ach went on that list as someone who was able to have good matches uh really liked the aw the first actually i like both uh aw matches with jeff cobb um, yeah the second the second one was and i remember saying this at the time it was like it maybe when i started like realize like what ACH had become like he felt like so Tanahashi-ish in that match like it just felt so unique that you know like kind of like endearing quality but you like you know he's an asshole or he can be like sort of like grating but you can't help but root for him because everything about his selling is so um just so infectious and sympathetic yeah yeah no I mean yeah it's like so into him and that was a great showing from Jeff Cobb too there but ACH was really making it um it's funny now that I look at this, I think I completely skipped over. I've never watched the Brody King title match actually. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't watch it either. Not meant to. And I meant to um go see uh the ACH run from Linum, but you know I'll go go to go do all that stuff when the you don't know Wrestling One Hundred is coming around. Right, right. Um, I saw some of that. I haven't watched all of it. Um, it was it was actually like a pretty refreshingly good match with MJF there because they've they had shitty chemistry with each other in Texas in the past. Um, but it was like actually a decent match there. Um, Daga match in PCW here in California was like really awesome. And Daga is like very bad. So that was like a great performance for ACH there. So, you know, like I said, it's just like ACH is really just a, um, all arounder now, not all arounder. Cause he's really only shown us the super great ability as a baby face in this role but he's like a, a really well, 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 well to be fair to ACH like even before he goes on this like amazing run as champion AW he has something um he has a match versus Paco um early in the year where he plays a complete dickhead heel and that shows you how ACH can flip the switch like that because he went to being this completely endearing like ultimate valiant top guy baby face but a few a couple of months ago he was bullying and um being a complete dickhead to Paco and he had and he had did something like that, um, uh, earlier um earlier in twenty seventeen in the match that I was going crazy for against Sammy Guevara, and I think ACH has that nastiness in him, but he was um in a space in a in a space where no one was really pushing him the way that ACH should have been pushed, and right like when he got that um the chance to be AW champ, you got to see the ACH that um really is there, like he's a believable like wholesome good guy baby face and he just had to let him um, wrestle with a little bit more of an edge when he was uh, just floating around yeah yeah i mean 
He definitely, again, the Thor Thoreau match was kind of grumpy vet situation as well and was why it was really good. Um, and it felt like that was going to be his calling card for the year with those two matches, both being early in the year with the Paco match and in that match. And then it kind of completely shifted and turned into this the story of this awesome babyface run. And yeah, like I said, to me, the story of um, ACH is like, just see how like unique the way he sells is in... It's like it's like a super effective way of selling, but he you know he makes the most out of every movement, and that was something that was notable noticeable against David Starr, Jeff Cobb, uh, and especially in, in his latest match, the sixty minute draw against Trevor Lee, that um you were just finished watching uh today, and again ACH in that match is fucking incredible, you know selling his back, his leg, everything, and he was struggling so hard and had to fight through everything just to be able to even attempt to hit his big moves and like i said you buy into every single ach movement because he makes it mean so much and again i have a guy um coming up actually that was doing the same thing this year but no one else like like made their movements in every single every singular moment feel as big as ach did that year yeah yeah i mean yes i i completely agree or actually i don't know who you're talking about so we well, to... actually, um, yeah, my number seven is the guy that I just compared him to, and that's Hiroshi Tanahashi. Oh, I've got him a little bit higher, but I think that that'll be the same with my number six for you. So right now we're getting to that point. I think we're going to actually start trading off like this maybe one or two more times. Uh, my number six is Walter. And I have Walter higher. Okay. And my six is Daniel Makabe. I have Daniel Makabe higher. All right. Uh my five and i think this is where uh this this uh concludes for a little bit my five is the young bucks oh yeah because i had the bucks at uh 21 uh right to be completely honest i think and i already thought this but i feel like this is the year where hands down the young bucks became the best tag team of all time And for me, you know, and I'm someone that always like clung to the idea that like the Holy, Holy Demon Army is the best tag team of all time. And I, and I do believe that. I do believe they have like, as far as like best tag team matches, they have the best tag team matches I've ever seen, but they're also not really a team and they don't last that long. The Young Bucks have, you know, more than uh, 15 years, you know, of being a tag team that can't consistently be right. that can't be right well, not, that, not, not that i mean they started i mean when did they start like I, I mean you might not be wrong but that just makes me feel so fucking old because i remember when they were like young kid tag team well that's what i'm saying like, like that's when they were young kids like starting off as tag team wrestlers that's what they all that's what they always wanted to be tag team wrestlers and they've been tag team wrestlers through the end and they have the consistency because they're always tagging with each other. Like the only other option as far as like consistency goes is the Briscoes. And the Briscoes have long stretches of time where they're feuding with each other or not tag teaming. And the like the Bucks have just been a constant force for all these years, over a decade at this point. Yeah, I mean this and, this shows on Cage Match debut two thousand four. I mean, I don't know if that's counting some of their backyard stuff or something. Like, that's insane to think about. But yeah, that's so long. That's like 15 years, like you said. Yeah, and I always, and I've, and I've 
had this thought that they were the best tag team of all time just based off, you know, variety and opponents, consistency. They've been a tag team for so long. You can't have one without the other because they are such a well-oiled machine. And then this year, and this is especially important coming off a couple of years where people thought they were um, so uh, shtick reliant. Um, you know, whether it was Bullet Club, Mount Rushmore, the Elite, whatever it was, people have been critical of the fact that they were so rely on shtick and gimmick and getting by on super kicks and suckets and comedy and being crowd pleasers and that's great and that's fine and at, at, at points i've understood people's gripes with the young bucks to me this year this was like an undeniably great tag team year because what we saw was a story carried over not only from like their little YouTube show. They carried it over from these two promotions in Ring of Honor in New Japan. And granted, um, and granted, like these promotions are uh, linked and have been linked for years, but it's not often you see like stories transfer over from New Japan and um, Ring of Honor canon. It's not often that like these are stories told from the commentators in both settings. And the story of the Young Bucks and Matt Jackson's back was a completely unique take on storytelling this year. Matt Jackson being the weak link and having this weak back and having to fight through it and Nick Jackson having to come in and try to save the day so many times in these tag matches. How Matt Jackson had to fight through it and, you know, he had some of the best selling performances of the year. And when we do, um, that we don't know wrestling 100 where we're not allowed to have tag teams together. Matt Jackson's going to be really fucking high for me because every single time out, he just sold his back incredibly well. And he wasn't just doing it in like the quote unquote, like matches where it mattered. Like it wasn't just the matches at Wrestle Kingdom. It wasn't just the match against uh, the Golden Lovers. He was doing it in gimmick matches. He was doing it in ladder wars and, uh, and street fights and all this shit. And that's what made it so great. And when you just, when you think that Matt Jackson is the guy that's having a great year, you turn around and we get to, um, um, the Young Bucks versus Lij the, for the first time, and you see Nick Jackson have to wrestle wrestle similarly, where he has a mid match injury and he's selling his ankle, and you see these guys who have been ridiculed and all this stuff for years for how they wrestle and their ideas about professional wrestling and, how, and their approach to professional wrestling, and here they are doing the same kind of nerd and critic bait that like people like us eat up, you know, limping around and selling your ankle and grabbing your back and all that stuff. The kind of shit that people like us and people that listen to the show will eat up. And they prove to you that they could have always been doing this. And that's like the short-sightedness that people have had with the Young Bucks. Is that the talent has always been there. They always had the potential to do something like this. And maybe that maybe that's a part of frustration. That you realize that the Young Bucks had the talent to do this kind of stuff always. But they just didn't because they wanted to fuck around. But this year... There's no excuse. It's the 3K matches. It's the match against Jonathan Le- um, um, Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham. It's the stuff against LIJ. It's the uh, TV feud and eventual blow-off against the Briscoes on ROH TV, which produced a whole bunch of bangers and awesome fun matches. You know, stuff, against, stuff on house shows against the Super Smash Bros and against Hiromu and Bushi. Um, the stuff against SCU. You know, surprisingly, you know, a lot like a group of a group of NSCU that people just view as, you know, 
a lot of just the guys and people that they don't care about with Scorpio Sky and Kazarian and uh, Christopher Daniels. They go out there and have these heated, really unique and fun gimmick matches. You know, it's not just your tables and trash cans and kendo sticks. Like, the stories they're telling and the shine that they're able to give other guys while telling these stories about these injuries. You know, guys like Hangman and Flip Gordon get the shine and have career-defining performances because of their commitment to selling these injuries and not just hogging up all the spotlight. And they do take a little bit of a break here, and they don't have the same kind of a consistency consistency um, to end the year as um, they did, you know, for the first um, six months or so. But to me, that run is just so strong because it's just a, it's just such a rare thing to see stories carry over like that between promotions. And I think the fact that they were able to effectively do this and not miss a beat and approach it in a unique way too. It wasn't always just as blatant as Matt Jackson grabbing his back or Nick Jackson grabbing his ankle. It'd be like they'd go through, you know, a good like one third of the match and then and then they do something. It's like, oh, Matt Jackson grabbed his back. He threw his back out again. And it's subtle stuff like that showing that they really had an understanding of how to space and time these things and i think for people that um got ridiculed so much as you know and i'm not saying it's like people that listen to this show but you know this this crowd exists as you know no psychology and all this shit and you know they turn around and flip all this stuff on on his head and the one the one blemish from them for them this year is that they didn't have a great match versus on the rascals in that uh triple threat uh tag title match uh, wasn't that great if their pwg stuff is better like you know who knows maybe i can bump them as high as four but you know right now and especially after the final battle match where is one of the most selfless performances that um i can recall in a while you know i talked about how jun kasai in uh the match with masashi takeda was a super selfless performance and that was like takeda's a uh, 20th anniversary show if i remember correctly and right now that final battle it was the Young Bucks, Briscoes, and SCU. And the rumors of the Bucks leaving have been swirling for weeks and weeks and weeks now. And instead of going out there and trying to steal the show and do all the crazy dives and have all the spots, they commit to a story. They'll have SCU and the Briscoes take all the shine. They don't bleed. They let um, you know the Briscoes and SCU bleed. And Matt sells his back. And they let those guys have the moments. And, you know... People will call the Bucks masturbatory and selfish and all this. And like to a degree, they definitely are. But I think this year showed that everything that people have said about the Bucks was a lot of jumping the gun and just looking at them on a surface level and not realizing that you were watching an all-time great tag team this whole time. And it really speaks to how, you know, I don't know, easy to please wrestling fans are. That all it took was some limb selling to be like, oh shit, the Young Bucks are really good. Like, that's all it took for people to really come around in the bandwagon. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it was, it's kind of started last year, and then this year became the focus. Um, obviously, they have what I think I've on record as saying is probably the tag team match of the year against uh, the Golden Lovers, which helps their case quite a bit. Um, yeah, they're easily my top tag team of the year. Um, all time great tag team in the conversation for sure um honestly high up in the conversation um 
15 years of, yeah, being great, just phenomenal. The way that they deliver, they can do the whole thing. Like, they can do still the stuff that they're known for, crazy spots. Um, but like you said, the final battle, the latter war, it was very interesting because it was kind of, it didn't seem like the Young Bucks in that match, really, in a lot of ways. But but it was, you know, it was them not taking up the shine as on their way out of the door. And it's just like interesting to see what moves forward for them. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, my number five now. Uh, is it gonna, uh, maybe. Yeah, go ahead. OK, what, what, what was five? what was the Young Bucks for you? Number you know, five. There were your five. Okay, so number five for me is Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah, and I had Tanahashi at seven. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, we kind of talked about. I think it was. It's been like three episodes now. Uh, the concept of the older guys, Minoru Suzuki being one of them, and then the second one being Hiroshi Tanahashi, the guys who. You talk. I can't. Uh, now I'm trying to remember who it was talking about when they seem like they're older, washed up, but they come back and they're still great. Um, for these all-time wrestlers are able to do that, and Tanahashi I think was the perfect example of that here. Um, showed his formula off with Jay White, similar to uh, we talked about with Kyle Fletcher. Um, the one match, eh, second match, that's when he's figuring it out, you know, and then continue to go, and then that's when the matches get better and better. Um. One of which it's like the Bad Luck Fale match in the uh, New Japan Cup. Um, that's a guy who Tanahashi has like showed his perfection with the way that he he has his you know Fale match that um, that's like you know one of the best. I mean, honestly, the only other person who comes close to having as good a Fale match is, was probably that Nakamura, um, and especially. Well, like- Oh, go ahead. It's like it's like like Okada, Nakamura, and Tanahashi are the only guys that have good volley matches, right? And I think that the hierarchy kind of goes Tanahashi, and then I think Okada, and then Nakamura had that one match that with the, stands with the out nose. with the broken nose, and then he had other good matches with him, but that one just stands out as like feeling like the best volley match. But I think consistency, Tanahashi has the best matches with volley. Um, he really knows how to work it. I loved this year selling the back. Um, kind of taking a page off of uh, Matt Jackson's book um, throughout the year, but he's also got other stuff like he's he'll sell a knee, he'll sell an arm, he'll sell anything. Um, the crowds love him. He's still the ace, uh, repeatedly proving it throughout the year, especially in G1, um, really probably being the star performer of the G1. Uh, the, but the New Japan Cup, I think, gets forgot. He was really good in the New Japan Cup this year, and I think that a lot of times... I, I love that Juice Robinson match. Like, No one talks about that match, but that was fucking great. Yeah, and I think that people overlook it because he came. He worked all the way to the finals of the New Japan Cup, and the New Japan Cup, historically, every year is like a, you know, it's kind of a, a time for the lower card guys to kind of get their version of a shine that other bigger guys get in the G1. And guys like Tanahashi usually don't end up working so hard and throughout it but he totally did i mean he worked super hard the final with zach was amazing for making zach and i think coming out of it i think i think there was a believability that zach could win the title a little bit you know and that that went with tanahashi i mean the way it was booked obviously zach got a lot of big scalps and they seriously pushed him super hard but tanahashi really shined him up coming out of it completely to where it was almost believable 
Um, the tag team match against Ozzy Open with Juice Robinson from the WrestleCon Super Show or whatever, like, saved that show. That show was pretty garbage at that point. And Tanahashi comes out and just really saves it. And it's funny, at that time, I was not... I couldn't really... I wasn't quite seeing the forest for the trees, you know? I wasn't seeing that Tanahashi still had so much in the tank. But he continued throughout the year to repeatedly give those kind of big-time performances where you just, like, he stood out. And like I said, the G1, I mean every fucking match and it it was the formula it's kind of like a formula but it's like really an anti-formula like the tanahashi formula to me for g1 is he always he always knows how to have like a at least three and a half star match in front of every crowd no matter what but this year he kind of turned that up a little bit so all of his matches were getting even higher close to four star matches pretty regularly throughout the g1 with his selling and just the timing and the comebacks and the way he does everything that he has the crowd just eating out of the palm of his hand by the end of it and just way he gets him rocking and rolling. And then just recently, I mean, setting up, teasing the stuff, defending the briefcase, um, really, you know, just phenomenal match with Okada. I really loved that one for the briefcase. And then now it's time to turn to the Wrestle Kingdom and the match that he has tagging with Osprey against the Golden Lovers. It's just like knocks it out of the park again. And it's just, he knows when to show up. And this year he's been showing up even more. And when Tanahashi's going, even at his age and right now, um, there's like not many wrestlers better, <laughs> you know? I mean, they just really aren't um, at getting the crowd into everything he does at, you know, bumping, selling, just being the ace. I mean, he, he epitomizes that ace in a way that like very few wrestlers have in the history of wrestling. It's like, I don't know what it was, you know. But we, we, people have always talked about like Tanahashi, um, phoning it in, when, like when necessary, and that's really been, really been a prominent thing the last few years with him. And really, just this year, like Tanahashi just felt motivated. And, you know, there is something to the idea that guys feel motivated when they know they're going to be pushed super hard. And I think that's happened with Tanahashi this year. Is that he knew that like he wasn't going to be stuck here doing like nothing stuff with like you know jay white and minoru suzuki he knew that there was um a bigger picture here so he goes up there and he embraces wrestling minoru suzuki and losing the title and being stretchered off and all this stuff and losing the new japan cup and all that because at the end there's a tanahashi victory and tanahashi has to overcome and succeed and i think that's what sets his year up so well is because his year Lee is defined by um, failures and disappointments up until he wins. You know, the Jay White match at Wrestle Kingdom, I don't hate it. I don't even think it's a bad match, but it's not to the quality of past Tanahashi Wrestle Kingdom performances. And a lot of people will blame Jay White for that, but I blame Tanahashi for being the veteran and not being able to adjust and put Jay White in a more comfortable position. And he just kind of like let Jay White sink there. And he goes and loses the Intercontinental title. And he goes and, um, has a run in the New Japan Cup, but he loses. He loses to Okada um, for the uh, IWGP title. And to me, that's what like really leads this um, kind of sort of steam gathering for Tanahashi because now the crowd is really getting back into like their guy because Tanahashi is the ace. Like, the ace in their hearts and always will be like until he's gone. As long as Tanahashi's there, he's going to be the guy. And seeing him like constantly get close and fail and 
you know, sort of get swatted down, it made the desi- desire to see him win grow even more as he goes into the G1. And that's what happens when we um, get to the last couple of nights. And he's sitting and he's facing Okada, and he has a phenomenal match with him. And we get to the G1 final, and like the fever pitch for a Tanahashi win is deafening. And you watch that match and you want it so bad. And Tanahashi goes out there and delivers a classic against Kota Ibushi. And not only that, he doesn't let the foot off the the gas. He goes to destruction, has an amazing match with Kazuchika Okada. He goes to uh, King of Pro Wrestling. And in his third um, match with Jay White, they go out there and have a fucking killer match. And that's what makes Tanahashi's year so great. And to me, I mentioned this with... uh, uh, guys like the Young Bucks and Jonathan Gresham uh, really just feel like the best wrestlers in the world when they're uh, when they're uh, at their best, and that's how Tanahashi felt. Tanahashi was a gut feeling this year. It was hard to not it was hard to watch Tanahashi and not feel like, oh my God, this guy's one of the best wrestlers of all time. Oh my God, this guy might be the best wrestler of all time. That's the kind of gut reactions you got watching him. Because he's so, he did everything that you want out of a pro wrestler. Or everything people might claim out of a pro wrestler. He didn't do he doesn't do too much. He commits to selling his limb. He feed he feeds off the crowd. He's sympathetic. He has great facial expressions. His commitment to selling it. Great timing. Great um ways of when he knows when to get his shine in. Like he does all of that so well this year that you can't help but feel like in his big matches. That holy shit, like I'm watch I'm watching this guy that's, you know, super banged up and um has pretty much one arm and has like pectoral problems and all this other stuff. He's done so much and yet you still feel like you're watching the best wrestler in the world. And Tanahashi was just like a visceral feeling this year. Where if you got it, you got it. And I don't know anyone that didn't get Tanahashi this year. I felt like this was a Slam dunk home run. Yeah, Tanahashi fucking killed it this year. And it was so cool to see him come back from that. And even then, I'm one, I wasn't those people that I wasn't one of those guys that wrote him off. Because I thought he sold a really good one, G1 last year. I liked the Naito stuff. And I really liked the uh, Kota Ibushi match from uh, Power Struggle last year. But seeing him return to form as a like potential number one guy was unexpected. But it was a very welcome surprise. And, you know, I'm really, really, really fucking excited to see what they do together, Um, him and Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. Because they had their one match in 2016, and it was really good, but they clearly held back and left a lot of stuff on the table. And that entire feud got fucked up because of Tanahashi getting hurt. So who knows what even could have happened. Because, remember, Tanahashi was meant to be um facing Kenny Omega in that ladder match. Yeah. So... Who knows what even happens in 2016 if Tanahashi doesn't get hurt. But now, you know, a couple years later, we we're in a perfect position to see, you know, Kenny Omega and Tanahashi go head-to-head, and I I really can't wait for it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's this is awesome, and it's really set up for something super cool, so I'm with you on that. Um, that was your five, right? That was my five, yeah. All right, we're winding down here. Uh, I know my number four. My number four. You haven't said him yet, David Starr. Yeah, we'll be getting to him shortly. I mean, there's only shortly left, right? Um, uh. My number four. I can't remember if you've said yet or 
not if you did it was just recently is timothy thatcher uh timothy thatcher at 10 okay so you had thatcher at 10 um i guess i could see that um he had a pretty great year but de-emphasized a lot by feeling like second fiddle to walter's um kind of killer run that he was going yeah, on and, uh, yeah yeah and let me say like the reason why he's like i guess like relatively low compared to at least where he was last year for me where he was like a like my number three is that you know there weren't like many defining timothy thatcher performances like he had like obviously like you know timothy thatcher versus walter from january fucking incredible match and maybe the best timothy thatcher performance ever but that's one timothy thatcher performance where i'm like oh yeah that was incredible and he's just is it just a, like a long string of really good after that that's sort of why timothy thatcher and mike bailey are right next to each other for me is because they both have like the volume but they don't have the performances or more than one performance of just being like out of this world great yeah i mean i can see that as your your take on him um for me it's just great tag team matches obviously with walter um where i really enjoy him great singles matches um the yay high match and evolve um the Atlas title match in progress, which I personally liked more than the Walter Thatcher match in PWG this year. And a lot of that came down to Thatcher. And I think at that point early in the year, Walter was definitely still on a roll and people were high on him, but I don't think they were as much. And I think that that match, I think a lot of Walter matches get a lot of praise and it makes sense. And people really like Walter and I get that. And we'll talk about him probably very soon. Um, but that match to me was made by Thatcher, and I thought that Thatcher's personality and the way that he wrestled is what made that match really good. And I think that a lot of Walter matches just get a baseline very good for old, for just for Walter, and then people overlook his opponents. I think for his, to me, for the Walter matches to be really great, his opponents have to be able to stand up against what Walter brings, and if they don't, then they just kind of end up having the same Walter match that everybody has. And so that was why that one really stood out to me, and it stood out to me because of Thatcher. Um Obviously, in 16 Carat, Thatcher was very good. Really liked the Jonah Rock match there. But then in, in Ambition, he was phenomenal the whole way through. Um, every match, I mean, just continued to get better until the final, which I thought was the best match on the show um, against Speedball. So, you know, that is up my alley. I love that shoot style. So I love Thatcher there. Um, I really enjoyed the Tony Storm match from beyond. I didn't think it wasn't as good as the dream match kind of that I had in my mind. But I did really enjoy it. Um I thought that his match against Nick Gage at Bloodsport was was really good. I didn't love it, but I did really like it. I thought it was worked well for what they were doing. I actually liked the tag match against uh, Sakamoto and Sawa, and I thought that Thatcher and Sawa were what were really making that match really cool for me. Um, Dominic Garini match at Evolve 103 was fantastic. Um, so yeah, to me, I mean... It was really a great year for Thatcher. He came out of his shell at some points. He had some interesting matches that you wouldn't expect, like stuff like with Jonah Rock. Um, repeatedly, two good matches with Jonah Rock, then like Riddle matches. The Riddle match, I thought, at PWG this year was their best match as far as I was concerned. I was also there live, so that adds to it in some ways. Um, and just consistency. Uh, the Grisham match was probably a down match for him, but a lot of, yeah, a lot of bringing it... Um, 
a lot of like being the the background noise for the Walter stuff. Like I said, being a great opponent against Walter um, and probably Walter's best opponent as far as I'm concerned. Really liked the Chris Bridgeway match in IPW UK. Um, just thought that he he brought probably one of that was probably like Ridgeway's best match this year, honestly. And Ridgeway has had a pretty down year. The Fred Gay high match at Inner Circle was probably honestly in a conversation for match of the year contender for me. Um, I'll have to kind of look over my exact star ratings and everything by the end of the year, maybe even rewatch some stuff. But I thought that was great. Um, decent match with William Ever, which was impressive because at this point, to me, Ever is like completely washed up. Um, the submission match with Mambo in, in uh, Fight Club Pro. Um, you know, just repeatedly having super awesome performances and bringing up a lot of people, the Thatch Kings matches, uh, tagging with Chris Brooks really showed some more personality from him. Um, it was super kind of impressive comparatively. So to me, I just felt like he really came out of his shell a lot more this year, had a lot of really great performances, um, but also showed that he could be kind of the support role to Walter. So just showing that depth of knowing when and where his place was and how to work to the crowds. Yeah. There's not a lot to say about that. Honestly, like it's just, he had a lot of really fucking good matches this year. And again, you know, no, so to sort of continue like the rant we went on last year about that. You're just like, you can't deny the dude anymore. He has everything. He has the singles matches. He has the defining performances. He has the fire. He has the personality. He can work heel. Um, he's uh, done like lean, like loosened up a little bit more, and has uh, smiled and done some comedy. Like, there's nothing you can say about Thatcher at this point. He's very clearly returned back to form as like one of those tippy top wrestlers in the world again. It's not to say that he wasn't in 2016, just you know, other circumstances. And the last two years really have been career year, career years for the guy. And you know, with Walter. Uh, looking like he's going to be a uh, uh, lightening up his schedule with uh, this WWE deal coming up and when he's when he's going to show up in NXT UK they're going to leave Thatcher um, seemingly by himself again and who knows like getting more Thatcher single stuff like I'm I'm all on board with that you know I've got I missed the Evolve era of Thatcher but I really am curious about what the future holds for this guy because you know He's really done everything that he's can that he can in the U.S. Indies. The uh, English Indies have really been um, shriveled up and dried up, and uh, you know, con- like conquered by WWE. So, really, the only thing that's left for him is Japan. And I wonder if Thatcher has the desire for something like that. Yeah, it would be interesting, and it would be very out of kind of his wheelhouse. It would seem because the reason why Germany worked for him is because he had. It seemed like he had a home base to work out of and i don't know that he could have the same setup in japan that would feel the same for him so that would be interesting to see what would happen but but um yeah i just i think 2019 might even be a better year for him depending on that especially more singles like you're talking about so that was number four for me and uh my three i feel like we're on the one here where we're gonna have a guy at the same spot oh yeah but uh zach saber jr yeah wow hey Uh, Two years in a row, we have uh, him at the same spot, at least. Yeah. Um, perennial top five guy for us. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't too long ago. I mean, just maybe a couple weeks ago, I think me and you were both kind of hinting at the idea that we could end up with having Zack Sabre Jr. as number one 
two years in a row, both of us. So yeah, it really almost happened. Yeah, it um, like I said, it was really, really down to the wire. Um, so Zach is one of the best wrestlers ever. Like, 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 what, like, what else do we do here? You know what I mean? Like, it's the third year in a row. Zach has the volume. He has the personality. He works a style that both of us really enjoy. Bringing in the flashy British stuff and the legit looking stuff. He's helped make guys look great. He's elevated his star power. He has the tag team wrestling. Like, what else do we talk about with Zack Sabre Jr.? Because it's getting to the point where it's like, boring to talk about him, but, you know, he's just great. And he continues to be great. You know, perennially one of the best performers in G1. An incredible New Japan Cup run. Um, I like the bits of evolve. I like the bits of of him we get in evolve. Um, even though he's going, um, um, he's gone by April, and really you can still feel the absence of Zack Saber Jr. Um, even all these months later, uh, the progress stuff we get from him, the super strong style run, not great, but again, like you see the variety that Zack Saber Jr. can still offer you. You know, Chuck Mambo. Keith Lee, um, Chris Hero, like, like, like this, he goes from person to person and can really just deliver in any capacity. You know, New Japan Cup front, go face Sonata, Naito, Abushi, Tanashi. Like, okay, he can go do that too. Go with the WrestleMania weekend and you're going to face, uh, Walter and Ishii and Matt Riddle. Like, okay, like, he can go do that too. You're going to go in the G1 and go face a whole bunch of people. In the tournament, like, all right, he can do that too. He can go back to progress and have an incredible, like, match of the year level match for me at least, um, against Walter. And he can have the match with Tyler Bate. And he can have the fucking, um, A Kid match that is just now, um, buzzing around and getting a lot of hype and praise from, you know, your voices of wrestling and Dave and Dave Meltzer types. You can go to Rev Pro and have him face, uh, LP and Jordan Devlin and, Really do like sort of like typical Zack Sabre Jr. formula, but it's delivering against those guys. Face Wild Boar. Um, the tag team stuff with Minoru Suzuki, we mentioned it with, Minoru, with, uh, with Misu, but you know, if you wanted to make a case that Zack and Misu was what, like a top five tag team of the year, you can, you can do that. So to me, it's just, Zack is one of the best ever. You know, I had, I had, I had two years of him at number one, and he was almost number one, uh, number one again, again for me this year. And shit, like, the Gresham match was, like, really close to, like, ma- like making me pull the trigger and just, like, fuck it. Like, Zach is just a wrestler of the year again. And, you know, like, all I can do is just sit here and be in awe because, like I said, I, like, since Danielson, like, I haven't had a guy, like, who I feel like just performs at this high level at everything that I really enjoy about professional wrestling and, like, everything that hits those kind of sweet spots for me and, like, like, Zack Sabre Jr. is, like, a perfect wrestler meant for me. And I totally get he's not going to hit the same notes for everybody else. But, you know, by God, the third year in a row when Zack Sabre Jr. has the volume, he has the performances, he has the output, he has the variety, he has the tag team wrestling. Um, You know, what, what, what more do you want from the guy at this point? Yeah, 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 I know. And it's, like you said, it's almost hard to talk about how good he is. The biggest extra takeaway this year i guess compared to last year the the thing was he came close to i would say you could almost come close to faltering um 
in the amount of output that he had and realistically when you look at it on paper it doesn't make sense he's still having a lot of matches but i think the difference is this year the only promotion that he truly felt ingrained to the fabric of the promotion was um new japan and then the rest kind of of the promotions he felt like even more disjointed from them but that was something that he kind of perfected last year was being able to show up in small places and do spot show touring attraction matches where he feels like you know similar to the touring nwa champ kind of model but more as an attraction um and it's like and it's like like it's it's remarkable like we still have this guy at number three when he's cut down his schedule so much because remember he was pwg evolve rev pro still showing up in progress how um, i didn't even mention him showing up in wxw and him having um matches with absolute andy and david oh my god the david star stuff Oof. fucking tetsujin and um like i mean I, I, I blanked on who else he faced in a uh, super strong style but again an incredible david star match the best in-ring feud of the year i would say was him versus david star um and that's the thing like even with with zach now when you could still be like well zach had his volume cut well shit like Zack in 2017 had one of like the craziest outputs I think wrestlers had this decade as far as like volume and variety. Yeah. And the fact that he's still number three speaks to the fact that like he is just an absolute machine and you can take him out out of like three of his most prominent promotions and he's still going to finish in your top five because he delivers on such a high level. Yeah. And like I said, even if he is feeling more like he's a spot guy, like a spot show guy, not like a doing high spots guy um he is still bringing it in really awesome ways and you know so it's just like that those are like kind of the arguments against him comparatively to last year where last year he really felt like there was more places where he was ingrained to the scene he was the top guy it was more that way he felt like larger output but realistically the output's similar um but then he's got stuff like he shows up you know in pcw for the road to glory tournament and knocks it out of the park in a match with matt riddle and then dean allmark so it's like he does feel like he's bringing something to the table as a shows up for that kind of situation to put over the eventual uh, winner of the tournament, you know, and the Tetsujin super fight. He's a super fight. He's a, you know, a random kind of draw to the the show, a random special attraction. Um, I mentioned the best Chris Ridgeway match of the year. And I think I forgot that oh, the yeah. Riptide 100%. match with Zack Sabre Jr. is probably actually the best Chris Ridgeway match of the year. Um, Oh, both both of both of them actually, like the Rev Pro one and the IP. Yeah, I or I like the Riptide one. I think the most actually, um, out of them. But yeah, they're both great, and you know, obviously, there's a reason why. Uh, New Japan Cup. I mentioned that earlier, but you know, obviously, just he was phenomenal. I mean, like, I, like Zach versus Darby. Like, yes, Zach versus like, Darby. I thought, like, like, <laughs> yeah, like I, I just don't get it, man. Like, again, like I really just think about honestly sometimes, like where we're going to be in the next few years when we have to revisit GWE. And, you know, obviously, like, not everybody that is that we talk about, that we talk about wrestling with right now is going to still be involved in this process. But, like, the, you know, narratives behind Zack Sabre Jr. at that point. Because, really, like, what, like, like, what is the argument against him after the last three years? And the thing is, is that Zack shows this ability to repeatedly have amazing matches that can get you know five stars from say like myself or whoever um with guys that he wrestles a bunch of times but he can also show up 
one time in Wrestle A Kid in you know Spain or whatever. Um, is it Portugal? I can't remember. It was Spain. It was Spain. That's what I thought. Um, and then get five stars for that. You know what I mean? It just it shows that he has that ability. He can work. He can work a guy literally a dozen times, or he can work a guy once, and he can have a five star match both both with both guys. Um, so it's just super impressive. The Grisham match, obviously icing on the cake at this point. Um, but then the other side of it, like I said, the comparison to where he had the deficit compared to last year is, you know, maybe output and being feeling like a top guy in places, um, and like a real long-term champion type top guy, but he replaces that in this year with the character work. You know, I personally thought that he was a perfect fit for Suzuki Goon from jump from the moment jump, but then he became, Oh my, oh my God. Like, remember when people were just so down on the fact that Zach was in Suzuki Goon? Like, they, like he, he was still 2015... Yeah. Like, like, he was still 2015, 2014 Zach or something. Yeah, why is this scene hair kid in... You know, I mean, actually, that's the one thing that would make sense is that him and Minoru Suzuki both had really stupid hair. Um, yeah. But, uh, but then he becomes an even better fit for Suzuki Goon than I would have fucking imagined, and I was already high on it. I mean, because he picks up the sleaziness, not just the heel, not just the shooter, but he... Then it's like when he's not tagging with, um, with Misu, he's with he's with Taka and um, Desperado, and like. he's fucking just chewing up the scenery, just fucking you know getting in the dirt with those fuckers, doing the Zacky driver and and that whole like it's amazing the way that he just integrated into the group completely in a way where he just he absorbs their sleaze completely. It's like we talked about Osprey trying to be you know, junior heavyweight version of Okada and it just failing. It's like Zach being, you know, the British guy in Suzuki Goon instantly just clicked and it made sense. And he's just perfectly executing it. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's been something to see because this is the part of the thing where we stop being theoretical. I think for the past couple of years, the idea, the, you know, Zach Sabre Jr. Theoretically the best wrestler on the planet, but He's showing up to small places and he's, you know, wrestling in front of a few hundred people to a thousand people. But, you know, he's really good. Everyone knows he's really good. He's really good. And now he's a big deal in New Japan. He's wrestling in front of large crowds on tours. He really is. The entire world is paying attention to him. And now you're seeing the proof is in the pudding, actually. And seeing him still at this point and whatever people can like maybe try to argue that he's like just kind of virtue signaling or maybe someone might say he's like champagne socialist type but there is something very let's say workers party labor party of him going to show up to a small promotion in spain and having a five-star match that you couldn't necessarily say that historically a guy at his level would do something like that you know what and i even mean then, like that's something that's something that zach was exploring last year because then again look he goes to fucking um mexico and south america last year and he had that match with negro navarro and this match didn't this match didn't gain as much steam as the Akin match did, but when he goes to um Portugal and he faces Atemista. Yeah. Like th- like he has been like he he's been doing this and that's what sets Zach apart. Is that yeah, the A Kid match was like great. Um so like I'm happy that that match got such got put um got put on such a pedestal. But again, it's coming from people that weren't also weren't paying attention to Zach the way that we were and we know that he's been putting in that kind of work in these spanish-speaking countries and going out there and giving that same kind of effort yeah no exactly i mean yes and 
Yes, and and like it starts when what is what happens? Does he become the you know the future, the greatest wrestler of all time for for like this era, this kind of style? Is he the millennial wrestler of the of the you know the generation or something? Um, on top of just being one of the greatest of all time, does he become like another Dick Togo? You know what I mean? I mean they have a history <laughs> with each other, but showing up in communist countries and tra- training you know kids how to wrestle, like what what's next for Zach? It's like that's the cool thing about him is that he can do any of it, and you know that he'll thrive and continue to be one of the greatest of all time. Um, so to move on for the, from the third annual Zack Sabre Jr. Love Fest, um, my number two, someone you just said a little bit ago is Walter. Wow. Oh man. Big daddy. And where did you have Walter at? I had Walter at number six. Okay. Now, you know, we did a whole psychology is dead myself, Brock and, um, our friend Evan, Talking about Walter, Walter's rise, Walter's year. Um, so frankly, I'm not in a. I'm not really in a space where I want to talk much about Walter's year, and I'm gonna. I will leave. I'm gonna leave a lot of that to you. I will say though that the reason why Walter winds up at my number two, and you know perfectly well how um conflicted I've been on Walter this year. You know, feeling like a lot of his stuff got derivative and um. It wasn't just wasn't feeling the same, and he was uh, leaning too heavy into certain things and certain tropes. For me, I think you know the reason why Walter does wind up at number two still is while I don't feel like he's the best wrestler in the world, he his his volume was so undeniable, and the fact is like say unlike Chris Hero in twenty sixteen, like he did switch it up stylistically, he did. A lot of Hero did kind of just stay, like, Hero did more to elevate people, and Hero went all over more obscure places to have these great matches. And Walter had, like, has, like, faced the cream of the crop all year. But I think for me, Walter did show an ability to change it up. And this goes from um, January versus Thatcher to, you know, April versus PCO and Ilya and all those guys to facing Sammy Guevara um, to the Zack Sabre Jr. match in October and um, the speedball match, the wild boar match, everything like I didn't want to have to like to put Walter at number two. I don't think it's not to say like I didn't like I don't like him, but, you know, I wanted to see if I could like, you know, get a Zack or David Starr in that spot. And for me, it was Walter did show signs of changing and adapting and understanding that he just couldn't, you know, chop somebody and go, you know, hit the ring post and go back to handwork. He did get his leg worked on. He did hobble around and limp. He did um do stuff like getting nastier and more aggressive and become like this big menacing top heel in um OTT in the feud of the year against Jordan Devlin. Um, he has like three matches that are going to wind up in my top 10 of the year. Three matches that might, that wind up in my t- might wind up in my top five. So when you have that kind of output, like I can't deny you. Do I feel right necessarily saying that Walter, you know, is uh, better than Zach or David Starr? Like, I don't think, I don't think I believe that. I don't think I believe that uh, Walter is better than Hiroshi Tanahashi, but you know, you can't argue with 
the output at least this year, I think. And his volume was just so massive and undeniable, whether it was tag team matches and singles matches, that you have to suck it up and be like, look, this guy had a phenomenal all-time volume kind of year. The same kind of year that we sat here and gave Zack Sabre Jr. credit for last year, as far as volume. Not in the same variety kind of way, but look, just in sheer amount of really good to great matches, Walter is undeniable here. And I felt like I wouldn't be doing my list justice if I dropped him any further than number two. Yeah, and you're not wrong in a lot of ways there. Um, Obviously, I had him a little bit lower. um, But part of it was, I mean, I'll be completely honest and people can come at me in whatever way they want for this but i had a really really tough tough kind of emotional reaction to the sammy Guevara match live and it kind of affected my ability to enjoy wrestling uh let alone walter matches um and that's probably not great you know what i mean like it's a weird way when you're coming out here to talk about this stuff but it's why i mean the it's like it's like like it's like like I like the match, but I understand why. Like kind of like honestly, like scarred you. Yeah, it was. It felt like just unmitigated violence, and it felt like I mean, I've for a long time have like ascribed to the Bret Hart kind of philosophy of you know, looks good but fake. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like try to have it look as good as possible. It doesn't take any talent and, to go and, out there and, and stiff get... people. Go ahead. And before we get into that, though, I was going to say, like, I think this is an interesting um, dichotomy, though, between, like, say, like, the Brock Lesnar-Daniel Bryan match that we both spoke so highly of and, like, a lot of what makes it so good is that it's not that you, like, want, like, like Daniel Bryan because he's a heel and you, you're not, like, turning, it's like, suddenly turning him babyface. It's like the violence of the beatdown is just like, oh, geez, like, I don't think a human being deserves this. And right. that's what the Walter Sammy Guevara match um it treads into that kind of territory because Sammy does go and beat Walter and tick him off and annoy him and um slap him and just fuck with him and then Walter gets his hands on him it's like yeah Sammy deserves it but like Jesus fucking Christ like this is a human being yeah yeah no and that was it and there was something about being there and I think really assessing what what are we paying money to see what are we here for um that made it kind of difficult and it was, you know, a lot of his stuff is in that same vein. I mean, the PCO thing is a similar story. Like, I think a lot of people did not expect that. I think at that point, he had already had big time matches that followed that style. But I think that that setting, people just did not expect that or people hadn't even been exposed to it yet. So to them, it was a shocker to see what he did. I mean, at that point, he hadn't done a bunch of them. But then after that, it felt like it did turn into he did a lot more of those of that match. And I will say that I think it's true. I think that he probably gets unfairly maligned for being a repetitive guy and being a formula guy because he does have a formula per se but i wouldn't say it's as repetitive but he does have a few different styles of match and that's that's just not like any 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 does change it because like i said like i was worried it was just gonna be like a whole bunch of hand stuff throughout the year and then what do you know like he switches it to um um to the leg and then what do you know like he kind of just switches it to being like a good old-fashioned like baby face um um facing the heel formula match like yeah he was he did change it and like like i can't deny that 
And him and, and Thatcher have a really good dynamic as a team that's fun because there are times where they have a um they have what is their version of a spot fest match and they usually do it with like spot guys and it's fun. It's fun and it's like interesting to see them doing that because they'll, you know, in the, when they have that match, Thatcher ends up going up to the top, you know, for like a big splash or something, but almost never hits it and usually gets thrown off or whatever. But it's like that's their kind of their spot match. They're like, oh, we're going up against the flippy guys. We'll do like the it'll be a little bit more fast paced and they'll play around with a couple like kind of jokes. Or doing So like the thing is, is that he's got a He's got a very formulaic style of putting together matches, but he puts them together in different ways. He's got a few different versions that he goes to, so it's not like he's always doing the same thing over and over again. He makes this stuff work in different settings, and and yeah, he does a good job of it. So I'm like, I'm high on him, but that was, for me, really the biggest issue. The hardest part for me with, with Walter this year was kind of just having an existential crisis over him for a moment where I felt like... I couldn't just kind of co-sign this idea that yes, Walter's the greatest wrestler on the planet. And there's no question because I did feel like there was a, an amount of, of repetitiveness. I did feel like there was an amount of, I won't say laziness, but um, really taking advantage of something, which is that people will go crazy for a big loud chop and he does it a bunch, you know, and it becomes such a trope and a like it is, kind of kind of a lazy trope and i'm not to a, call a crutch yeah and i won't call walter lazy and i won't say that he doesn't work hard and care about wrestling but based with that and that he's got kind of his his kind of token matches that he's got the formulations for that he does different settings he just like adds a few different things and does some different sets up but really the overarching stories are the same it does kind of show a uh, uh, someone who is maybe not phoning it in, but definitely not always as engaged as he could be. And he's a, a fucking a phenomenal wrestler. There's no question about that. And his what he does, I love. Um, I do, again, I had my issues with it. I think I've gotten completely over that. Um, so yeah, I mean, yes, he's one of the greatest wrestlers in the world. Yes, probably if I didn't personally have a weird issue that kind of happened from seeing that, I would have him even higher at this point. And I totally get like why a lot of people have say wrestler of the year. The volume is there. Everything's there. So no, I'm, I'm totally with you. So that was your number two, right? Yeah, that was my two. Okay. So my number two, I'm debating this. I've been almost flip-flopping this whole time. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I know who your top two are at this point. So I'm curious on which name you yeah. say first. And I'm, I, cause I, I, I can't remember completely if you've already said this one or if this is going to end up being your number one, but my number two is David Starr. All right. So David Starr at four. So. Okay. Okay. So now I, I don't think I can, I know who your number one is off the top of my head. Um, yeah, I know, I know you're number one, but you don't know mine. Yeah. Which is not fair. Um, so, <laughs> David Starr for me, and the reason why I'm flip forwarding back and forth so much and really have felt like David Starr was my number one for a while is that uh, I think if you just accumulated star ratings that David Starr for me, if I was the, one of these psychopaths with a math spreadsheet and that's how I decided who the best wrestler was, I don't think that there's any chance. I think David Starr blows everybody out of the water. Um, he's got just the best quality of matches out of any wrestler and the best um, overall quality and the most quality matches just because of how much stuff he's had and how much really great stuff he's had. 
um, throughout the entire year. Uh, repeatedly, huge marks. Five stars, four, four and a half, you know, four and three quarter. Repeatedly with guys like Zach Sabre Jr., obviously, Mike Bailey. Um, but the other part of it is that I talked about it, but being the guy, being the face of stuff like the RPW Smaller Shows, being the main guy in wrestling, being realistically feeling like he's got three of probably the top five to ten feuds in wrestling all going on in different places with different people. If you look at like the feud with Walter, that's still always technically kind of there. Uh, the wrestling feud with AAW and then the um the feuds in rpw with like curtis chapman and and um oh phantasma and yeah again like 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 even like the like the like a like a purely in ring feud like him and zach yes exactly yeah and if you count account for just in ring and i kind of i said that the other day like if there's if that's how you measure a feud now because feuds are kind of an amorphous concept that a feud can just be the like kind of matches that have a string in a year against each other and then the quality then him and zach if you like were willing to push it to that level is easily the feud of the year because they have the most the most best matches um but yeah so it's like the guy is just having these insane rivalries then he's got the really cool kind of tag team stuff with jordan devlin and ott he's also got a little bit of it less of it this year than he had last year but the tag stuff with um sex smith in progress so variety heel baby face um so good as a heel so good as a baby face that you forget that he's also a really good you know heel like he's so good as a heel i forget that he's also a good baby face while he's doing it um which is which is crazy about david star because if you remember the beginning of the year we were really worried that david star was gonna go heel everywhere because the glimpses that we got of it in 2017 weren't that encouraging and then what do you know like when he shows up in Super Indian works heel, when he shows up in um AW works heel, um, he delivers on the end ring level. If then in Rev Pro, I don't feel like um the end ring ever really caught up to his character work. But um he like his character work in RPW was really fucking good as a heel. Um and beyond as a heel, you know, delivering end ring and as a character. Yeah, yeah. I mean the guy is just and I you know, I think I kind of was floating out this David Starr is my number one kind of thing out there. And, and the one of the responses I kind of got from someone was, you know, the, he phones it in, uh, you know, and I just I guess you could kind of see it some places, but I always feel like he balances it out. Um, and, and, and really, I'm like, like, what do you call phoning it in? Because I think we kind of like use those terms just because we want great matches all the time. There's a such thing as working to your place on the card. And that's and that's something that like you know, um, people would um, use as a as a great against like Trevor Lee on Trevor Lee's best years, where Trevor Lee isn't having these knockdown drag out great matches in AW and Impact necessarily, or even PWG, but he's working to his spot on the card, and he's not the main attraction, he's not the big star, and he's gonna work to the time allotted and what's expected of him. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, I feel like he fills it in with character work in settings where maybe he's not he, having his... He can, like he, he can do the comedy, he can do serious stuff, he can do shtick. Like, it, like even if he's not, even if he's not, like, giving you the kind of match that you think you want on paper because it's David Starr and he's great and he should be having great matches all the time, 
like he fills it in with you know other aspects of his game yeah and you know the the bloody feuds i mean the stuff especially with um with joey janela but yeah it just shows that he can he can do it all and the darius lockhart match in rev pro we talked about it with darius lockhart but that just popped back in my head how good that was the Ilya dragonoff match in progress that was fantastic like the ishi match the ishi match oh, from Uprising. yeah i mean yeah and it's gonna be interesting I mean, to like right oh god like, like joey janela from you know the novel barbed wire match like, yes like like maybe like you could argue the best death match of the year oh the orange cassidy match Oh can't yeah! Can't like, forget the Orange I mean, like Cassidy that, match, and and, and and that's like in an, like entirely seriousness. Like the Orange Cassidy match is fucking phenomenal, and my biggest takeaway from that was that's the kind of match that David Starr needed to prove to me like he really is that kind of wrestler that he can take someone that isn't regarded that way like Orange Cassidy and have such a gripping an emotionally like satisfying match as they did right there and the thing is and like you go ahead oh no i was gonna say and the thing is is that he's he's shown the ability to do that in america especially because he feels so ingrained with his history in the scene and moving to england and now becoming even more ingrained in the british scene it's gonna be interesting to see what happens there um yeah i mean like that's it with david star and like again we talked about it with uh speedball and takashita and all these guys you know the scene is wide open right now in late 2018 and it's going to be even more so open in 2019 and david star one of those guys to be the front runner for wrestler of the year next year oh yeah no i mean i think weirdly he kind of is the wrestler of the year this year but there's a kind of an anomalous situation for me for the number one so obviously and, and, and even then like you're like, like your number one makes sense for like everything that you've been talking about on your list um so i guess to get it out of the way my number one is kazuchika okada wow you swerved me because i could have sworn when we first started you said he wasn't on your list Oh, no, no, no. I said um, Kenny Omega and Naito were on my list. Ah, so you, you tricked me with that wording. Okay. <laughs> um, But yeah, Kazuchika Okada um, is uh, my number one. And uh, who's your number one, Timothy? My number one is Daniel Makabe. All right. Um, Let me just go ahead on Okada first since uh, we both have Dan in our top ten. Okay. Um, So for me with Okada and... You know, really everything in wrestling is going to come down to liking certain matches more than other people when it comes to year-end stuff and debating. And, like, frankly, like that's why I don't debate with people about that kind of stuff. Because it's like, if I like certain matches more than someone, like, we're not, like, there's only so much back and forth we can have. Um, And to me, I've liked everything about Okada's presentation this year and everything that they've given me about Okada's presentation. Now, it's funny. I have Okada number one in 2018 when people call 2017 his career year. And, you know, he had these undisputed classics and, you know, breaking the Meltzer, breaking the Meltzer scale and all this stuff. Um, and that's great and all. And he doesn't have a math that's as um, undisputedly great as the uh, Shibata match from Sakura, from Sakura Genesis or... Anything like that. I don't think he surpassed what I view as the best match of all time that he had with uh, Kenny Omega at Dominion. But he still winds up at number one for me. 
And for me, and the uh, idea I've been putting out there is that, yes, he doesn't have those classics. But as far as an all-around year, I feel like this was, this was it for Okada. He showed, you know, more than the ace side. He worked the first half of the year as the ace, facing Naito and Sonata and Osprey and Tanahashi and Zack Sabre Jr., you know, in a string of non-title and title defenses. And, you know, there's all different matches. The Naito match, I didn't love the first time I watched it, but, you know, when you separate the emotion and at first thinking it's such like a gravely bad decision that Okada beat Naito and all that stuff like it's a it's a good match there's a lot to like in that match there's a lot of ideas to like in that match um the following month against Sonata you we see like Okada's arrogance really start starting to form as he's just shit talking and constantly calling out Sonata trying to prod him and get Sonata to break character and um 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 lose focus and we see Okada um, have a really good match with him. I really like the Okada, Zack Sabre Jr. stuff in the dimensions explored there because Okada has never faced someone like Zack Sabre Jr. who is so mat-based and so mat-driven that how is Okada going to be able to figure this one out? I liked Okada facing his um his um uh, his junior in Osprey at the forty at the um, anniversary show and. You know, really giving Osprey the time to shine, but you know, still making it clear that Okada is big brother, and Okada and Osprey still has a long ways to go before catching up to him. You know, Okada's arrogance really starting to bubble up some more as he goes and uh faces Hiroshi Tanahashi in May, and you know he shit talks him. He he beats him with one Rainmaker, which is something that hadn't been done in a while in these Okada and Tanahashi matches. It just took one Rainmaker, and that was it, which was. You know, a really defining moment um, and really kind of like threw you off for what the rest of the year might have been told for Kazuchika Okada. And then we get to Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada 4 at Dominion. No time limits, two or three falls, 74 minutes. And, you know, it's a fucking phenomenal match for all of those 74 minutes. It accomplishes everything it needs to, tells an incredible story. Okada selling in it is absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, you get the right ending. And it's the perfect ending to one of the best title reigns of all time. And this is where the year starts to change for Kazuchika Okada. Because we have this six-month run where Okada is the ace and he's getting arrogant and cocky. And then he loses the belt. And, you know, he loses himself. And I fucking get it. Like, you know, oh, broken Okada. Wow, there you go. New Japan thinking they're so um emotionally um deep and all this that, that that came out of this but it, like okay like the guy lost something that was very important to him and now he has to figure out like what to do with his life after this thing that sort of defined him is now gone and he has to you know, he goes and loses um in those strong style evolved uk shows to the zack saber jr and uh Minoru suzuki and then to zack saber jr straight up on the next night Loses his first two matches in the G1 to uh, Jay White in Battle of Fale. Uh, then goes on a streak in the G1 and has really good matches with the likes of uh, Minoru Suzuki and Hangman Page and Evil before getting to an absolute uh, stellar, absolutely stellar match 
against Hiroshi Tanahashi where, you know, and I'm going to delve into this more when we get to uh, the top 100 matches because that's the more appropriate time to get into like the minute details of that stuff, you know, seeing how all those matches into the Okada and Tanahashi series, they were still able to flip the series and its ideas on his head and introduce these new concepts and themes. And that was Okada going after the knees and sort of becoming Tanahashi. And for the first time, um, I mean, not, not for the first time, but like Okada in his uh, weakened state can't beat Tanahashi there. They go to a draw. Tanahashi moves on to the G1 finals. After that, Okada is still struggling, you know, Jay White trying to lead a mutiny over chaos and all this shit. And we get to the Okada Tanahashi match of destruction. And this is what I mean where they flipped the entire series idea on his head. Because at this stage in September of 2018, it had been a year in what? Eight months? Well, I mean, not a year and eight months. Three years and eight months since the last time um, Hiroshi Tanahashi beat Kazushika Okada straight up. At Wrestle Kingdom 9. And that match broke Okada. He left crying and um, in tears at the fact he worked his way back to getting this title shot and he just lost again. Um, he struggles and then gets the title back from AJ Styles and goes and redeems himself at Wrestle Kingdom 10 against Tanahashi. And then here we are. Okada um, in a weakened state mentally is lost and um, trying to figure out what to do with himself, he loses to Tanahashi again for the first time in three years. And that speaks to me. That's character development. That's commitment to telling stories. And, you know, these characters aren't flawless. They're not perfect. Okada, when he's in a vulnerable emotional state, he's susceptible to lose to guys. And Tanahashi, who knows him better than anyone, was in a prime position to beat him. And this is, you know, one of those years where, you know, it looks uh, like you look back at everything else I've done and I've had guys with a crazy volume, like a Zack Sabre Jr. be on top of my list or Chris Hero be in my top five or Trevor Lee and all these guys with the volume to match being in my list. So why does Kazuchika Okada all of a sudden sort of break that? Why is he my number one? Nothing spoke to me emotionally the way Kazuchika Okada's arc did this year. He went from being on top of the world, losing it all, trying to get himself back together, seemingly having it back together, and still not having it, and even then winding, falling right back on his face, losing his manager, having the state of his um unit in flux, and all that stuff. And Okada, you know, the golden boy, you know, the Teflon guy of the Bushy Road era for the first time just ha- had no road to the Wrestle Kingdom main event. And to me, like, I love to see growth and um, exploration in wrestling. And there was no wrestler greater explored as a character, an idea, whether it was um, in, in their presentation or his in-ring um, attempt, um, in-ring um, um, ideas than um, Kazuchika Okada this year for me. And you know, I said, of course I'm going to be the guy that has 
2018 Okada above 2017 Okada. But, you know, 2017 was just him being the ace. 2018 was him being the ace, falling off, falling off the top of the world, and having to fight and scratch and claw to try to get his place back, which he still hasn't even got back yet. And we'll see when he even gets back to that place. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, the way that you kind of see the storyline, the way that you appreciate the way everything in like makes perfect sense right because there's the depth there i think i didn't buy into the g1 stuff um that much and so that like kind of affects the way that i kind of frame the whole rest of his year i think that right like i said like he only loses two matches but he you know gets himself back together and you're under the assumption no a lot of people when we when we go into the g1 a lot of people are like, oh, Okada was just going to lose his two matches and then go and win the G1. He doesn't. <laughs> like, that's what sets it apart, is that if he went and just won the G1, he wouldn't be my number one. I can tell you that right now. Right. If he just if he just went and won the G1 after all of that, he wouldn't have been my number one. But the fact that he doesn't, they lure you in and think like, oh, Okada's just going to like Superman and he's going to go and win the G1 because he's Okada, he's Okada and he's so cool and strong and he doesn't. It's like the fact that they throw you off the trail is why it's so emotionally gripping to me yeah and it adds depth it definitely does i think stuff like though like the just the the kind of the whole gimmick that he is running in the g1 and then the the terrible match at all in <laughs> the right after that really kind of soured you know me for kind of being able to appreciate I, I, that I, I, i've still seen nothing from all in by the way okay that match was real bad but it's with marty scroll so you know what do you expect yeah um all right. No, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You probably don't have like much to add with Okada. I don't no, think. no. And I like I I like some of his stuff this year, and I actually like Okada more than I think some people do. But uh, but you know, again for him, it's like yeah, it's just I just didn't buy into the story that much um, for the G one stuff. So it just doesn't. Yeah. But uh, I guess we'll get to what was what was Dan for you number. Dan was six. Number six for you. Number one for me. Um, you know, obviously talked about it early on uh, when we started this out that I've been on a personal. Oh, oh, oh also, before 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 we even get into this, like, what a fucking leap. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm just saying, like, you know, going from he's having um, you know, a couple of matches that uh made it online last year in 2017, and you know, where like where we are now, like, just wanted to point that out, like, what a fucking difference a year makes yes uh 100 percent huge leap huge kind of yeah not just for us not just on my list but for consciousness last year i had him in the 90s <laughs> this year i have him number one and that does come down to like i said i was on i'm on a personal journey in general um and throughout it the person the wrestler whose matches I got the most excited for was Friday nights, hopping on the Twitch stream on my Roku and watching Dan Makabe wrestle in this weird bar in Seattle in front of this drunken crowd with, you know, just amazing different weirdos um, with the fucking live commentary over the PA. That's terrible. And just having not just the best technical wrestling matches, but the best heel champion in wrestling ply his craft you know week after week i was thinking about it how i was going to talk about this to make it make sense and 
what I came down to was that while they don't have the same tenor, they do have the same kind of idea um, is that Dan Makabe basically this year in 2018 was if progress champion Jimmy Havoc was also like a top level grappling wrestler. Because if Jimmy Havoc was kind of the hot topic goth version of this heel, evil, you know, asshole kind of gimmick, you know, Dan was the, I don't know, MTV2, Wonder Shows. And, you know, he was the kind of the... He's, he's the guy that shows that shouts at Urban Outfitters. Yeah, like. and he was kind of the, he's kind of the, um, the, the disassociated kind of ironic version of it, but still just as good. Like just in a different way where it's like not taking it seriously, not taking it the same kind of serious, but just the performances, the over the top facials, the way that he treats the crowd, um, the promos that he does that just feel natural. Everything about the guy as a character is what makes him. And like to me, that's like the biggest the biggest calling card for Dan. But then, like I said, you layer on top of that, that he's this amazing technical wrestler who makes his stuff look like a real grappling competition repeatedly. No, not on, not only like a great technical wrestler, like a guy, a guy like Zach, where he's able to change the kind of technical wrestling he does on a dime. You know, he can go and do stuff with um Artemis Spencer. That's a little bit more flashy and speedy. He can go work with Timothy Thatcher and Negro, and Negro Navarro on the mat. Yeah. And then he can also do stuff where, you know, he kind of brawls and bullies. He can bully Shotzi Blackheart and, you know, um, has the fantastic match with B-Boy where he's working over B-Boy's hand more aggressively as B-Boy's brawling. You know, like he could take anybody and works with them, has the best possible match for them. Um, and like I said, all that while... Working a style that I like, working a style that speaks to me personally, being this amazing champion that takes a title belt that, I mean, realistically feels like nothing. I hate to say that, but, you know, it's just, it's the title belt from this weird company that runs in a bar every other week and makes it feel like and, a world and, title. And like, 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 and like, Dan, like Dan doesn't always go on last in this promotion and like, it's like, it's a weird fucking place. But, you know, it's a lot like when we first got introduced to CWF, um, and like with and getting indoctrinated with um Trevor, in his in his world over there, is that, well, and, and I think CWF was much um, at that time was much better than um three two one. Overall, yeah. Seeing this, yeah, but seeing um Dan come out here and just be like the glue that holds everything together is just like there aren't many people that can do that, especially when it comes to a scene like the um like the Northwest that doesn't have like a big powerhouse yet you know like a defy wrestling might like could have called a super indie but like it's not one of those must watch indies at this point and this scene is so wide open and um i guess like still like a little under underdeveloped and at this rate with the way um people are getting signed it might still wind up being like a little underdeveloped that daniel makabe was able to go out there every other friday and just command that crowd and command um the audience all over the world that he was able to gather it just speaks to the talent level yeah and like i said he i've said in other places he 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 taught this crowd to appreciate what he was doing and to see him as 
a heel and and it doesn't it's not just about being a great worker in the psycho psychological sense it also is about like i said the stuff that he does looks legit and the way that he makes his grappling work it looks like a real grappling contest and it's super impressive the way he pulls that off because other guys don't quite get there but it's just little details i mean even grisham who i fucking love like <laughs> i tried to stop myself the other day comparing a grisham match like reviewing it to Dan Makabe for that very reason, like that Gresham is really good, but some of his stuff just looks a little bit more fake than Dan would do. Like, I'm just like in that moment, I could see the way Dan would do it. And it would be, it would just have this one little extra bit, you know? And it's just like stupid little details that I've picked up watching him pretty closely this whole year. Because like I said, with being checked out of wrestling a lot more than I have been in the past couple of years, his, he was the constant, exciting thing every week or every couple you know every other week that i would like try to watch it live which is like probably part of it too honestly is that not a lot of us who are super into this are watching as much stuff live as we probably used to because it's so easy to get and then also stuff is not even being streamed live and a lot of stuff is like you can catch it but with the way it was last year that to see dan matches easily it was kind of i would have to catch it live or else you're gonna have to wait for it to show up on youtube probably and that's gonna take forever um or if it's gonna show up on youtube at all it did turn into like that was like the cool thing and there's something to it there really is something to watching live sports as dumb as that sounds that's like the millennial take of the fucking decade right hey did you guys know that live tv is cool like of course that's why like it was such a big deal that's why live sports do so well right but it's like it's true it did add to the flavor of it but on top of that like so what (laughs) like that wouldn't have been the the determining factor but the talent is there the best champion in wrestling for 2018 for my money um probably number two would be like low-key is mlw champion he's only had the belt for a little bit but you know that's like kind of the thing and then he drops the title in the perfect fashion i mean really cool like kind of teased title transition with the bird which was nice and kind of interesting um just to have it kind of flop back and forth in like a a, a interesting kind of wrinkle but then sets up kind of another challenger has a, a setup match with bambi hall earlier in the year um is able to beat her then goes on to have a great you know non-title match with thatcher a rematch from their match from last year i think it might have been the year before either way the the, the negro navarro non-title yeah, match. so like now he's going into like he's not having title matches as much and he is mixing in some like oh no actually yeah yeah mixing in some non-title stuff but um or like yeah so then i watched the rebel girls tournament that bambi hall wins to get the title shot and a spoiler alert or whatever. Um, and she was built up so well that when she won the title, I was like, yeah, I was like excited for her title match. I was excited for her to win the title. So it was like a perfect setup for that. And then since then, he's been in the the um, three, two, one, go turn block or, you know, the G0, I guess is what it's called. I, I thought it was go. But then at, once the tournament started, that's what it is. It's a G0. Play, obviously a joke on G1 um, where he's having shorter matches that aren't the focus of the shows like his title matches had been as the champion, but he's clearly like 
bringing a lot to these shorter matches and trying to tell a big story with them. The Sonico, like they had a match earlier in the year, they have a second match here that's like half the length in the the G Zero tournament, and like still has a lot of cool callbacks, great work, you know, great arm work, great everything. Then the Mike Santiago match, another match that's a rematch from a match he had earlier in the year for the championship. This one again, not quite half the length, but pretty close to it, and delivers the same kind of thing. He he's bringing in bite sized portions of the same psychology, but it's it's just as filling you know it's a you know it's feeding the thousands with a couple of fish and loaves or whatever he's doing the same quality of work in every way in a compact frame and it's really cool to see that in the same year from a guy who goes from being this long epic match storyteller to being able to do this short kind of spurty matches that are a lot of fun um i am we've been recording insanely but even just this week he had another match in the uh g0 tournament and i'm having trouble even remembering who it was but i remember really enjoying it um just you know just this last friday oh it was against jacob um and it was like after being so into dan all year he has this match with jacob and he shows me the best strikes that he's thrown in the entire year you know at this point in in december it's like a new cool thing but he just waxes him with this big ass punch and then a european uppercut that just looks like completely rocks him and it was the perfect kind of little tease setup as he goes for the the bit the big unit fastball punch and um gets countered and it was just like god damn <laughs> like this guy who i feel like i'm insane into um you would think at this point i would be bored and like over it uh you know but when that happened, I was debating where Dan would be for a while. It feels insane, really, to have him at number one above so many people with so few matches. But like I said, this year has been different for me. We've talked about it the whole way through, like you said, with the kind of the rubric that I'm grading on, he made sense here. And then seeing that match from just you know a couple of days ago, at this point in the year, still bringing it, it's like, oh yeah, this guy's still got a lot left that like we haven't even seen yet. And then that kind of speaks to to like moving on 2019 clearly going to get out there more the bookings are already being announced um he did already have a match in um in sup against jake parnell that was good but you know it's a new crowd it's a new situation he's not you know it's not three to one battle where everyone knows him you know you know he has to you know he has to educate the he has has to go out and educate educate these crowds again yeah but yeah so it's it's exciting because it's like ah 2019 i don't think there's any chance 2019 that he stays in the same place. I really don't. I mean, obviously that's difficult. Not a lot of people get number one. I don't even know if in 2019 he stays in the top 10 realistically, because he is going to be going other places where just like we said, training these crowds. And if you're not getting that same heat and reaction from the crowds, it's hard to have the same level of matches, especially you're wrestling people that you don't know that well. There's all these different things that can affect it, but it's exciting because like I said, you know, that punch, that strike on the match that just happened against Jacob now, it's like, no, this guy's still got a lot left to show, not just me, but to show the entire wrestling world. And, like, you talk about, like, how we kind of feel insane having Dan decide. It's like, I kind of get the concern because I feel like, you know, I feel the same way about, you know, maybe having Okada where I have him based off, like, you know, be like me, me and you both heavily being volume guys for the last couple, for the last couple of years. And, you know, the guy has the high end matches to justify it. He has the B Boy match. He has Thatcher. He has um Alex Zane. He has Artemis Spencer. He has come um, Caden Talbane. So it's like 
he has the high end matches to completely justify a high ranking for him. On top of having um lower scale stuff against um Sonico and Mike Santiago and the Bird and Cat Power um Shotzi Black and Shotzi Blackheart. He has all that stuff to sit here and back it up because it's not just high end matches. Here he is working with people that aren't on his level. I mean, you know, Scott Henson too. You know, having matches with people that aren't necessarily like on the same skill level as Dan, I would say. And then he goes up there and has like bangers with um these other people and, you know, they're high end match of the year contenders. And he wrestles a style that me and you both really love. You know, we're both really big Zack Sabre Jr. fans. We're both really into like, you know, Trevor Lee and CWF and he if he feels like a really like perfect marriage between like those two worlds so like you know obviously like he's um really um brian danielson influence you know one of his um, main finishes is, is academy mutilation and he like like again like complete nerd bait towards me like he does a fucking um academy mutilation with one leg like you know what i mean like so it's like he he really plays into like our sensibilities and that's what this is at the end of the day like these are our list reflective of our tastes and things we've enjoyed in 2018 and Daniel Makabe really appeals to everything that me and you love about professional wrestling. Yeah, I mean that's that is it. And there is there's stuff there, but the great one of the great things I think about Dan's year, as stupid as this is, is it's kind of bite sized in a year with with in a wrestling industry with so much and so like, you know, in, like access to everything and it's all his his year his feels so concise yeah like, and you can watch it all probably in a weekend if you're an insane person like one of us probably even in a day if you're really insane like dylan hales or something and um and get it you know and really get all of it and not there's callbacks and stuff but it's not like something i don't know like dragon gate where you know or, or 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 New Japan. Like, yeah, it's really like all you have to do, all you have to do is know who Daniel Makabe is, and you'll get. Yeah, it. exactly. You just watch it, and you don't. That's not to say that that stuff you won't appreciate, but it's like there's not a big time more to it that then like kind of you're not even getting, you're barely scratching the surface with the knowledge. It's like this is it's really easy watching just a year of you know a, a handful of matches, all great, all varying lengths, styles, everything. So you can watch it, and you I don't think you get bored. I think you could watch every one of his matches in a row from this year. If you're someone who just has never heard of the guy, because this is the first time you're hearing about it from us on this podcast somehow, because you haven't been paying attention to the few like nerd circles that have been talking him up, Like I would recommend it. If you're the kind of person who watches footage the way we do, just watch, I think you could sit down and watch every one of his matches in a row, and... You'll get it. You'll appreciate it, and it'll just like it'll go by in a in a, a flash. It'll just pass by easily, and it's like that's such a great counterpoint to how many other wrestlers. Like I get the Walter thing, especially for the output and just respecting that. But like I don't think you get the same thing with Walter at all. I don't think there's any way you could do something similar with Walter this year, or really anybody else, and say that that like you know maybe you could argue that some of the matches aren't at that same level of world class matches, but his performances are his crowd work is you know so it's like it's really tough to argue to me at least obviously that's why i have him here because it just he stands out in a sea of a lot of the same stuff and people doing the same stuff over and over again even though like you expect kind of the cattle mutilation and the 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 octopus and even the fastball punch you also don't always get everything and there's going to be something different and new every time. So it's just, his stuff is just so exciting and interesting. Every, every match. 
it's just really impressive that he's able to pull that off still at this point. And then, like you said, it's just exciting to see like what the future holds for Dan. And you know, we want the whole time we want that whole time without really mentioning you know like both of us like really enjoy just like Dan as a person. Yeah. So yeah. you know, it, like you know, it was really just like you know great to see like this isn't like a ranking based off Dan as a person. Like it really is just like he wrestles the way we like wrestling and it was just really hard to sit here and watch this guy have so many fucking good matches and think oh man is it just because i'm friends with this guy it's like no he's just a really talented wrestler well and he's just really fucking talented yeah (laughs) and that's 100 percent true and here's the thing and and you know i just you know people can say what they want but like i wouldn't be friends with dan if i wasn't a fan of his and that's what it really comes down to. Now, you could say that maybe it kind of like synergistically increased my fandom if you want to argue that somehow I'm biased. But I didn't find out about him being a wrestler because I was friends with him. I was a huge fucking fan for this guy. And he just happened to notice because I wouldn't stop talking about how much I thought that he was fucking great. You know what I mean? So that's it. Like he was already in this conversation before I would say I consider him like a friend, you know? So you have to keep that in mind when it comes to it. Like if you want to say that there's some kind of bias there. But, um, yeah, that's it for us. And Timothy, I want to thank you for joining me again for the uh, third year in a row doing our top 50s. And honestly, in my opinion, I think this has um, personally been like my, my favorite experience doing our top 50. What do you think? I agree. You I say? agree 100%. I loved, we both talked about it. I loved that it felt like we were going to have totally different lists. And it, and in some ways we did, but in other ways we didn't. And I thought that it was really cool because a lot of times I'm excited to hear, you know, people that you're talking about that I wasn't following. But this year I felt like I, brought some stuff that you weren't really following people and you were like you know it was cool for me to feel like i'm excited excitedly telling you about something that i agree with so yeah i mean easily for me my favorite year of us doing this and and probably kind of cool that that happened because maybe after last year i was feeling a little bit like did i really sign up for continuing to do this forever but like (laughs) the fact that then this year was this good i'm like okay yeah like i'm i'm in i really enjoyed getting to talk about wrestlers you know <laughs> this was cool you know and it really is like you know like i think we, like, we both have like had like a lot of changes and all this shit like go on and like in our lives this year and like you know this is one of the only things like you know like that i have like set in stone like yeah like come december or this time of the, like this time of the year like i'm gonna go do this right and i like the fact that i get to have like so much stuff go on in my life like fucking a few days ago i was I was having an I was having an anxiety attack and like went and took myself to the emergency room and like had like a little anxiety scare and all that kind of stuff and I've dealt with like my anxiety problems throughout the year so I like the fact that I was able to sort of like remember like oh yeah I got this uh thing I come I really like it I really enjoy doing coming up in a few days like I should go make my list instead of sitting here being anxious and worrying about my heart that I know is like only um a couple beats um above my normal wrestling heart rate and as i said i really thank you for uh taking the time to sit here and uh do this excruciating task with me yeah thank you Quentin. but thanks to everybody who uh managed to listen to every single part of this we wind up going uh three and a half hours but you know what that's what you get here so psychology is dead and i've embraced the long game here so 
Thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be here next time, and we'll see you all with the top one. You should see my resume. Had a play in their city every week. I'm getting paid, and I'm good in their hood everywhere, every day. Had six cell phones, jumping, serving straight J's. Had the phone line booming, taught myself to add it up. Got the game from my daddy, taught me how to run it up. Got the work from my brother, let my bitch bag it up, and I'm selling everything. You know, you know how I'm coming. Roll up. Quarter three. Yeah. And a damn thing changed, nigga. You know how I'm coming. I hit. Quarter three. Yeah. And a damn thing changed, nigga.